CFB Winning Edge 2021 FBS team profiles are now available to our Tier 2 Patreon supporters. We're still filling in some gaps and smoothing a few rough edges, but our generous subscribers can now view more than 11,000 individual player ratings, updated coaching ratings, and historical team performance and recruiting for all 130 FBS teams. We've also revamped our team streak power rankings and expanded our projections to include all three models into the schedule portion of our team profiles. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge to learn more and to become a new member. Join as an annual subscriber to receive an 18% discount or 12 months of access with two months free. Welcome back, everybody. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter machine for everybody. It is uh, coming down to the end here, fellas. We are going from 10 to 1 today to round out our series, uh, our series looking at every single team in college football. So let's just dive right in here, Nick. We start with Iowa State at number 10. They were 9-3 and three last year. They beat Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl 34-17. to 17. They bring in the 58th-ranked recruiting class, 7th uh, in the Big 12. They have seven transfers out, two transfers in, but they return all kinds of all Big 12 talent to the squad. Brock Purdy, the quarterback, running back Brees Hall, Wide receiver Xavier Hutchinson, tight end Charlie Kohler, tight end Chase Allen, left guard Derek Schwager, uh, center Colin Newell, defensive end Will McDonald, linebacker Mike Rose, safety uh, Greg Ellsworth were all Big 12 last year. And then they lose uh, some talent to the NFL, running back uh, Kenny Nguanu, uh tight end Dylan, uh, Dylan Soner, and then uh, edge rusher Jaquan Bailey are going to the NFL a uh, couple new coaches, including Tom Matt Manning, is now the head of offense. I'm guessing that is a type of offensive coordinator. They're just calling it something different. So um, not really sure there, Nick. But Iowa State was really solid. One of the best teams in the Big 12 have kind of snaked past Texas as the uh, front runner to challenge Oklahoma in this conference. Yeah, Iowa State is a, a really, really – interesting team more so yeah yeah i think everybody's interesting i think that's the first thing i say every time we talk about <laughs> you know done it 121 times whatever it is now uh but in in 2019 uh, they took a, a very very strange path i mean i remember they were getting some preseason buzz as you know potential uh big 12 title contender and and uh people were getting really really excited but then once the season finally started you know they stumbled very noticeably against louisiana in in week one and and lost that game 31 to 14 really didn't look like they were in it for for most of it so uh from that point on you know expectations just really really uh, took a, a step back and, and people didn't expect very much from Iowa State, you know, I guess for the next week or two. And then they uh, were able to sneak by TCU and then knock off Oklahoma 
And all of a sudden, you know, right back in the mix, they lost to Oklahoma State, but still got into the uh, Big 12 title game where they fell uh, in the rematch to Oklahoma. But yeah, they were, you know, in, in, in short last season, nine and three overall, eight and one in the regular season in Big 12 play was the best season in Iowa State football history. They finished uh, there with their highest ranking ever. They achieved their highest ranking ever through the course of the season. So, you know, compare or, or you know, uh, taking that bit of momentum that they carried from last season, you mentioned all the personnel coming back and it's a key positions, very, very important positions. It's all across uh, position groups. And they were also able to hold on to Matt Campbell, who rising star in uh, coaching had gotten, you know, his name was thrown around a little bit, at least with uh, some NFL jobs opening. Don't know if, if he was ever considered strongly or not, but seemed to be maybe, a, you know, a 50-50 chance at some point uh, that he was either going to leave for a big-time job if, for example, Michigan had opened. I know we talked about that briefly, uh, or potentially an NFL job. So they were able to hold on to him, able to bring back a bunch of really, really talented players that, you know, I mean, uh, Brock Purdy accounted for all of their passing offense basically last year. He had a little bit of a uh, step back statistically from maybe his – sophomore season, but you couple that with, you know, Brees Hall coming back, the top returning vote getter in the Heisman Trophy uh, tally, uh, you know, with him and, and Purdy and Jareel uh, Brock, they brought 85% of their rushing production back. Uh, they lose a, you know, a, a capable receiver in Landon Akers. They lose Dylan Soner uh, at tight end, but still 82% of their receiving production back. All their Offensive linemen are back every single snap. So, I mean, they are coming off of, of a historic season by their program standards. And then the returning production, the experience, they you know bring back a handful of super seniors, including uh, Jake Hummel, who's a starting linebacker, uh, starting defensive uh, lineman, Ioma Uazurke, uh, starting safety Greg Ellsworth, all Big 12, as you mentioned, starting left tackle Sean Foster, uh, Chase Allen, tight end. Is, is, all those guys are super seniors. So, you know, not only are they bringing back an experienced team, they're bringing back a more experienced team than we would have thought, you know, possible in any previous year. So uh, Iowa State, to me, is going to be a very, very uh, – they're going to be a test case of sorts – because one thing that we've mentioned, you know, off and on in some preseason previews and things like that are, you know, the blue chip ratio, but Elliot uh, coined that phrase, but basically, you know, do you have 50% or better of blue chip recruits on your roster? Are they four or five star recruits? Iowa State being roughly a top 60 recruiter. I mean, looking at our recruiting strength ratings, uh, very recently. I mean, we're talking numbers in the uh, high 50s, high 40s. Uh, so these, this is not a team that's anywhere close to that 50% threshold that has proven to be, you know, in the playoff era and maybe even a little before. If you don't have that blue chip ratio of 50% or more, you know, teams don't make it to, don't win a national championship. And I think there might be one or two cases where a team under that ratio has has made it to the college football playoff. But 
Iowa State on paper, you know, in a normal year when we're talking about returning starters, returning production, all this looks like a not only a Big 12 title contender, but a, a national championship contender in my eyes. If, if we're just looking at experience, it, it's going to be a test as to whether or not a team that is this experienced returns so much is this well coached has really kind of been overachieving compared to their uh, you know, roster strength rankings, recruiting rankings, things like that. Are they actually going to be able to put it all together, avoid a slow start like they've had not only last year, but in, in uh, previous years, they've stumbled a bit early as well. Are they going to be able to dodge some you know, tough spots early on, win enough games, get through to the end of the year with a chance to win the Big 12 title? And if, if they do win that, championship, you know, could be in the mix for a, a playoff spot. So Iowa State, you know, last year was a, a pretty impressive year once all was said and done. They ranked in the top 30 in a lot of the numbers that we uh, point to each week, 30th in net yards per play, 15th in net points per drive, uh, 7th in the country in net success rate, 18th in EPA margin, expected points added uh, per play. And, you know, yards per pass attempt on the net was kind of the weak spot. They ranked 52nd in that. But overall, very solid team, very experienced team, pretty, pretty talented in the traditional sense, not so much in recruiting rankings. But the way we calculate things where we do add weight for experience, we do add weight for production. You know, they're they're not only coming off a great season last year, but poised maybe to, you know, have a second, uh, you know, a new uh, greatest season of all time in program history. They're going to be a team that I'm I'm really really excited to watch each week and excited to see if they're going to be able to uh, take things to the next level and maybe break through and be the you know first team that's uh, a national championship contender that that is not quite that recruiting ranking level uh, that we've been looking so closely at the last decade or so. What do you think, Xavier? I mean, it, it is a tall task to ask a team that is kind of middling for a power five team as far as recruiting goes to stay competitive every single year. But uh, Campbell has them pretty, you know, playing pretty well. What do you think about Iowa State? I think I mean, they're my favorite to win the Big 12 this year. I know we'll get to Oklahoma in, in, in a couple of teams. Um Nick, you can you can shake your head all you want to. This is my my favorite to win the Big Twelve. I think I think there there's I'm not never mind. We're not going to go out into the Oklahoma rant just yet. Uh, but I, I really love Iowa State coming into this year. Not only do I love Iowa State just simply because of all the returning talent that they do have. I think that last season was a bit of a wake up call for them in the fact that let's be honest, if it, without that loss to Louisiana, this was a team going into the latter part of last year that would have had an opportunity to compete for a playoff spot. And they will be ready to go from game one, um, you know, and I think that we've talked about some of how some of the, you know, the teams that are closer to them in the past, like in Oklahoma State last year, are going to be a little bit, maybe a little bit worse than they were last season. Uh, I personally think they are better than Texas going into this year, much more than they were last year, where that may have been a toss up uh, in last year's. And they have that game at home. So I really enjoy that. And I think getting Oklahoma at the end of the year is, is a big thing for them, because I think when you when you have to easily have to face, you know, your biggest competition to get them towards the end where you're going to have the ability to not only build confidence, but build rapport with a team that's already got the confidence and and the consistency of all of their players coming back. I think that genuinely is a plus for them and is a win 
They play Oklahoma at Oklahoma in the, the second to last week of the season. Um, however, they do still get their biggest games of the year, in my opinion, at home outside of the Oklahoma game. They get Texas at home. They get Oklahoma State at home. They get Iowa at home. Those are big times for them as far as making sure that your, you know, that your biggest matchups are going to be on your home turf. I think Brock Purdy takes a step forward this year. I know he regressed a bit last year, uh, but he gets his number one target back in Charlie Kolar, who I think if he had left this year would have been a second tight end draft taken without question. Uh, you know, not to mention that he gets his, his guy Brees Hall back, who I think is going to show you guys maybe even more of a game that he did, even better uh, than he was last season, if that is even possible. I think he's going to add some more wiggle in the offseason, something he did he has not had at Iowa State. He's been much more of a north and south guy. I think he adds a little bit of east and west to his game, uh, not just for obviously for college, but for the pro level as well. Uh, and he's one of my top three or four backs coming into next year as far as uh, draft is concerned as well. I just really love what Matt Campbell has going up there in Ames. And I, I like them more than I like Oklahoma. I'll be honest with you. I think Oklahoma, for me, relies or maybe relying on a little bit uh, – it's overly reliant on some pieces that finished great but didn't have a complete package last year. Whereas when I look at Iowa State, I look at a team that was able to bounce back from some, from some struggles last year. But overall – really outside of the Louisiana game, played well in all of their matchups. You know, they only lose to Oklahoma State by three. The Louisiana game was the only game that they didn't show up in whatsoever. And, and when you look at, you know, when they played Oklahoma, which would have been arguably when Oklahoma was at its best last year, they only lose by six. Uh, so I think, you know, I know we, you know, a lot of players like to do the hashtag run it back, and then they end up going like seven and five the next year when they run it back. But I genuinely think this is a team that can make the playoff next year. Um, so I, I really, really, really love Iowa State. They're my favorite in the Big 12. Real quick on the Tom Manning uh, thing, I, I just wanted to look that up real quick. He's been at Iowa State. Uh, other than one year when he was with the Colts in 2018. So promotion? Uh, <laughs> since 2016. But, yeah, one of those promotions where it's uh, mm. uh, kind of, you know, pad the resume with a kind of made gotcha. title a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, he's he's been calling plays there since since 2019 and then prior to that, uh, 2016 and 17. Right. Okay. Uh, I, I look. I like made up titles. They're, they're fine. You know. Uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> Chief editor Scott Bogman of this podcast is going to move on <laughs> to the next team now. Uh, BYU, eleven and one last season. They beat UCF forty nine to twenty three in the Boca Raton Bowl. Seventy fifth ranked recruiting class overall for them. Obviously not in a conference. Two transfers out. Five transfers in, including. Former four-star wide receiver, Washington, uh, Washington wide receiver, excuse me, uh, Puka Nakua. Uh, so going to be interesting there. But they lose so much to the NFL. It is incredible. Uh, Zach Wilson, the quarterback, wide receiver, Dax Milne, tight end, uh, Matt Bushman, offensive tackle, Brady Christensen, interior offensive lineman, Tristan Hodge, nose tackle, uh, Chris Tonga, cornerback, Chris Wilcox, and safety, Zane Anderson are all gone next so losing a ton of talent they bring in a new uh oc or really promote him once again aaron roderick is the new offensive coordinator at byu so what do we think about them going into 2021 nick so i i do uh, have to plug one of my favorite uh series that that's out there uh, at the athletic the state of the program uh, series they just started up again it's it's really really excellent it's it gives you a good uh you know, position by position, a lot of detail on every team. And BYU uh, was was one of the first uh, five teams or so that that they started with last week. And you know, I, I 
you have to be a little bit careful because those, you know, a, a, a preview like that, when they get quotes from coaches, and we've talked about uh, this sort of thing before, you know, with spring games, spring practices, press conferences, all that good stuff. How much can you really rely on what the coach is saying? How much stock can you put in that sort of thing? So I, I do try to caution myself a little bit, but as I was reading it, I did, they, they did a decent job of convincing me that it's not going to be that bad at BYU, the drop-off, the, the amount of production that's gone. And they're sort of in some ways similar to Iowa State where the, you know, the, the talent rankings are not great. I mean, they, they uh, we're talking about classes this past year, 70th was our uh, ranking in our recruiting strength numbers. But prior to that, 93rd, 91st, 87, 69, 52, 72, going back to, to 2015. And, you know, that's outside of the Power Five. And, and BYU is not a Power Five program, but they are close. And they're kind of, you know, lumped in a little bit. And last year, BYU was one of the most impressive, most dominant teams in recent memory, I mean, you know, uh, in net yards per play, they rank number one. In net points per drive, number one nationally. Net yards per pass attempt, number two. Net success rate, number two. And EPA margin, number two. And and the strength of schedule was obviously, you know, not what it will be in 2021, not what it would have been in a normal 2020, but they took care of business and absolutely were dominant in basically every game but the one that they lost uh, against Coastal Carolina. And, you know, looking uh, – maybe actually Houston gave them a little bit of a, a little bit of trouble. But So I, I went through, and collegefootballdata.com is, is a very useful site. Uh, I added their post-game win expectancy uh, percentages for, for every game last year. And, and so you can kind of look at how did the team compare – uh, you know, what the what the box score said, what the advanced stats say compared to what the final score was. And BYU had a post-game win expectancy of uh, 95 or better in 10 of their 11 wins. And the only one that uh, was, you know, any less than that was 34% against Houston. And then, of course, they lost to, to Coastal Carolina. But that that sort of level of dominance is is very rare. I mean, usually – a team might have a 90% or a 75% or a 50% and, and win a game, but they are 98, 99, and then, you know, five or six, 100. So uh, that means, you know, any, any historically box score that would have lined up with, with what BYU looked like, that team would have won a hundred percent of the time. So just complete dominance uh, it, it basically in the schedule that, that they played in, in 10 of 12 regular season games. So incredibly impressive, but, you know, looking ahead, what do they lose? And, you know, they're going to lose Zach Wilson, probably sounds like going to be the number two pick in, in the NFL draft. That's huge. And, and Wilson took a huge step forward, was a big part of the reason why BYU was so dominant last year. Another part of the reason was one of the best offensive lines in the country, an offensive line that when when our numbers wrapped up at the end of last season, uh, just from our, our you know, talent perspective, ranked 15th in the country, and they were probably even better than that. I mean, they ranked sixth in our offensive line performance ratings last year. So uh, that was big. They had, you know, solid uh, defensive line play as well, top 50 in our uh, performance rankings, but they had some injuries hit that 
position group. And, and then, you know, overall, they were able to put together a, a very solid defense to go with what ended up somewhat unexpectedly to me becoming a, an incredibly explosive uh, offense as well. So, you know, uh, looking ahead, you mentioned all the, the guys that are leaving, but as I mentioned, they, they've convinced me a little bit that it's going to be okay because Puka Nakua, probably the most talented receiver Washington had last year, he's he's now at BYU. His brother Samson Nakua, uh, you know, is, has started a handful of games at Utah, played forty five career games. He's coming in. They're going to be able to to you know help fill uh, the the Dax Milne spot. You know, those two together will, will at least overcome that level of production. And then I was really, really impressed with Gunnar Romney last year at running back. You know, Tyler Algier was a a thousand yard rusher. Yeah. He's going to be running behind an offensive line that lost a couple of starters, but three are coming back, including, uh, you know, additionally Keanu uh, Salapaga, former starter, had 700 snaps in, in 2019. He's back from injury, missed most of last year. Uh, plus they bring back, you know, three other guys that had 100 snaps last year. So the offensive line, because of some, you know, uh, bumps along the way, including some injuries, they were actually able to build pretty good depth uh, along that unit that they're going to, I think, be able to offset some pretty talented guys leaving. On the defensive line, it's it's somewhat similar. Three starters are gone, but you know, looking through just our our 2020 production points at the positions, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys come back with multiple production points. So those are guys who not only you know played but were productive, were able to put up uh, some solid stats, and and so you know they've got that many guys who played over a hundred snaps on the defensive line. So I think they're going to be okay there. Linebacker, everybody's back. In the secondary, I do have some concerns because the the actual talent numbers are not good. The defensive backfield at BYU, their average 247 sports rating is below an 80. Uh, so we're talking you know, under a three-star that ranks 126th nationally. Uh, their rivals rating on average is in the triple digits. Their VGR plus, our average, uh, or our, our overall individual player ratings, that is 121st in the secondary nationally. Their starters rank 120th. So overall, that that's an area of concern for me. It's also very inexperienced. But again, as I was reading, you know, they, they kind of help address some of that. They're able to uh, add a, you know, Chaz IU only played in week one last year. He was expected to start at linebacker. They're moving him to safety. You know, that doesn't sound like a, a, a common thing, but it worked pretty well. They did that with a couple of guys last year as well. So I think he comes in, solidifies one of those spots. They've got, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys who played 100 snaps. In the secondary, another you know three guys who had seventy five snaps or more. So they're they're pretty experienced there, and and they do have a a tendency to overachieve compared to those talent rankings. So you know I, I think BYU is going to be fine. They are not going to be as solid at, at every level as they were last year. They are going to be challenged more because the schedule is is much tougher. Uh, but this is a team that that finally 
our numbers are starting to respect a little bit more. They're going to be, you know, 33rd right now in our, our preseason power rankings. Uh, that's higher than they started last season for us. Took us a little while to, to catch up last year. But, you know, they're they're going to be a bowl team. They're going to be a team capable of winning seven, eight games. Uh, and, and maybe if the quarterback position solidifies itself, if the transition to the new offensive coordinator is smooth and smooth enough because they've got so many skill position players coming back, there's there's room for growth. I, this certainly could be a top 20 type team, could be a, a 10 win type team. So maybe I'm I'm you know, maybe they've they've worked me enough to to where I'm overlooking some things I shouldn't, but I, I'm starting to to think, okay, it, it's not going to be that bad. BYU is still going to be a very, very dangerous team. Quarterback's a bit of an issue. The secondary on paper, a little bit of an issue, but you know, so far I think they're going to get those things figured out well enough to be a, a very, very dangerous team in 2021. Are you still buying in on uh, BYU as a dangerous team for this year, Xavier? I mean, dangerous in what respects? Do I think that they're going to be able to go on the road and beat a USC team at the end of the year? No. Do I even think that they'll be able to play with you know an Arizona State team at home? Not necessarily. So if we're talking about dangerous, <clears throat> I do think that this I, – I agree with Nick. I think this is a 7-8 win ball club um, with the propensity to, you know, maybe get an upset here or there, you know. Uh, but I'm not – you know, I'm not as confident as I was going in the last year. And I, and I do see – you know, when you go from, what, 11-1 and one to or, – or, excuse me, 12-1 and winning the bowl game uh, to, you know – eight and four, it is a drop off. And it's not a significant one when you think about all the pieces that they're going to be losing going into next season. Uh, but their schedule is much more difficult in the sense of one, I think they're playing a more, a wider range of teams this year. Uh, obviously they have their big 12 and their, or excuse me, obviously they have their Pac-12 matchups, uh, but they're also hitting the big 12 with Baylor. Uh, they see the ACC with Virginia um, they even mixed up, mixed it in Idaho State uh, here as well. Uh, so I mean, there I, I do agree with Nick. Where I think the schedule is going to be harder, which I think it maybe might be a year too late for that with the talent turnover. And when you have such a you know transcendent quarterback that Zach Wilson was for them last season and had been at his time in, at, at uh, BYU, I know a lot of people didn't watch him in year one, but he was great uh, then as well. He just you know, couldn't finish all that well you're going to see some some definitely growing pains as the season continues. And I just don't see this team finding its footing uh, because every two or three games, they match up with a team that I genuinely believe they are not as good at uh, or better than. You know, they had the first two games of the season, then they say Arizona State. The next two, then they see Boise State. Then they say Virginia. So I just don't think they'll be able to find their footing in this year, uh, especially, you know, Nick hit it on the head, with them being – you know, so uh, the turnover at the quarterback position being such a big gap. Uh, when you lose the number two overall pick, that's a massive gap for a team like BYU. So I don't know if they'll be able to replace that. Uh, but at worst, this is a six and six ball club uh, and still a bowl team. You know, you may see, you know, some growing pains, especially, like I said, early on in the year. And they have a really late bye week, which I really dislike for a team that's so young uh, and, and that could – uh, see a little bit of a burnout and, and may need an earlier bye week to kind of get their head screwed back on. Uh, but other than that, like I said, I think this is a seven to eight win ball club outside of the quarterback position. Nick's right. They are bringing back a lot of talent that although didn't play last year are still very senior laden. 
and the more experienced side. Uh, so I don't think BYU will be garbage for any means, uh, but I do see them having a, a, a drop from a team that we argued at one point, you know, are they the best team in G5 last year? All right, the next squad up here is Florida. They were 8-4 and four last season. They got stomped by OU in the Cotton Bowl, 55-20. to 20. They bring in the 13th-ranked recruiting class overall, which is fifth in the SEC, which I know we've done this a bunch of times uh, in this series, but 13th overall and fifth in the SEC is just crazy. Um, Ten transfers out, four transfers in, but they got some big ones, including former five-star uh, Clemson quarterback DeMarcus Bowman and former four-star Auburn wide receiver Daquan Newkirk. Cornerback uh, uh, Kair Elam is the only returning all-SEC player because they have so much talent moving off to the NFL here, Nick. Quarterback Kyle Trask, wide receiver Kadarius Toney, wide receiver Trevin Grimes, tight end Kyle Pitts, offensive tackle Stone Forsyth, uh, defensive tackle T. Darrell Stanton, Cornerback Marco Wilson and safety Sean Davis all leaving to the NFL. So uh, Florida, another good recruiting class, but they got a lot of talent here uh, to replace Nick. What do we think about the Gators going into 2021? Yeah, the the what you mentioned about the recruiting, how that stacks up nationally and, and in the SEC is sort of a, a starting point for me when looking ahead at, at 2021. And, and, you know, this is technically a review series it started really as a review series as we've gotten closer into the uh, spring and summer months it's become more and more of a preview series I think that's probably only natural but in some ways this Florida team you know in 2021 is so different than the one in, in 2020 that we kind of you know it, it it's not a waste of time but it, it it you know doesn't make a ton of sense to to harp too much on what uh, the team was last year so as I'm looking ahead at, at 2021, their national, you know, FBS power ranking and our team strength ratings is six. And that's obviously, you know, playoff contention, uh, you know, that, that, that level we're thinking playoff contender and they were close last year. So it, you know, wouldn't be a, a, a huge stretch to get there, but it's fourth in the sec. We've got Alabama ahead of them. We've got Georgia ahead of them. And I, I just blanked on who our, uh, third Texas A and M, and we'll talk about. Uh, so you know they're they're in a very difficult spot. You know where nationally it looks like they could stack up with the best of the best, but they've got to uh, play several uh, conference opponents if they were to make it through and and win a conference title, make it to a uh, playoff. You know they're going to have to go through some really really talented tough teams, and they are losing a lot, and and it's somewhat similar, at least on offense, uh, to what BYU is losing. I mean, Kyle Trask gone, you know, to the NFL, uh, the receiving, you know, receiving core, and we're not just talking about any old guys, Kyle Pitts looking like a top 10 draft pick is, is basically a lock, maybe the first non-quarterback drafted. Kadarius Toney took a huge, huge step forward, was one of the best playmakers in college football last year. Uh, multiple starters on the offensive line, multiple starters on the defensive line. So you're, you know, talking about rebuilding uh, six or seven spots uh, there on both lines of scrimmage that that's tough to, to get over. And then uh, four key contributors in the secondary. And, and, you know, we found 
uh, I always uh, like to, to mention Bill Connolly uh, has done the, the work that, that I like to reference seems that uh, returning production in the secondary is the most important, most correlated to future success on the defensive side of the football, you know, and, and the receiving core is the most correlated on uh, the offensive side of, of, of the football. And, you know, Florida's losing big time players at, at both of those spots. And, and then, you know, considering that we don't really know a whole lot about Emory Jones. I mean, he seems like a good fit for a Dan Mullen offense, seems like more of a, a fit compared to, to what, you know, Mullen really seemed to want his offense to look like when he was at Mississippi state, when he was at Florida prior, a guy who was a little more mobile than Trask, you know, will they be able to run the football a little bit better? That's been a, a, an issue the last couple of years. I think they've got, you know, plenty of running backs. I mean, uh, Damian Pierce has done some good things. Malik Davis, Naquan Wright has, has uh, put himself into the mix for carries. And then you mentioned Bowman, but they also got a, a former five-star transfer the previous year in Lorenzo Lingard. So they're, they're at running back as talented as, as you could possibly hope for top three nationally in, in uh, 247 sports average rating at that position, according to our numbers. So, you know, I, I think that we're going to see a different looking offense and it's possible that because it might be a little closer to what Mullen would do if, if he, you know, had the, the personnel that was a perfect fit for his ideal system. So possibly that helps to limit the gap uh, from what, what we would expect to see them take a step back because they won't be as, as, prolific in the passing game. Uh, so I, I don't know. And, and, you know, defensively, they uh, had some real weak spots. I mean, last year, Florida ranked 102nd nationally in EPA per play defensively, 88th in yards per pass attempt allowed, 80th in success rate against 62nd points per drive, 67th yards per pass attempt, or excuse me, yards per play allowed. So, you know, they, they ended up with some good net numbers, top, 25 in all all five categories but that's because their offense was top 10 at, at every category so you know de- defensively they don't lose as much at least in the front seven i think you know the defensive line should be a real strength the pass rush should be a real strength uh you mentioned you know they brought in uh daquan newkirk from auburn they also brought in antonio shelton uh, from Penn State, they you know brought in Dylan Meeks from Akron, who who might be a little bit of a, a surprise. He was a guy who's, who's uh, you know played a lot of football there at Akron. Offers uh, some depth there to go with what is on paper one of the more talented units that that they've got. Uh, you know, I, I think they'll be a little bit improved, especially if they're not you know, relying on the pass offensively quite as much. It will run a little bit more clock, maybe limit a, a possession a game potentially. Uh, so that just sort of, you know, tends to uh, bring the raw numbers down a little bit. But the, you know, per play, per drive numbers, they're starting from a pretty pretty poor spot. So I don't know exactly how to feel about Florida. I, I think that like a lot of Florida teams, they are talented enough to beat anybody. I think they are well coached. Dan Mullen, you know, according to our numbers, is a top five head coach in, in our uh, head coach rating. He's also a top five offensive play caller. You know, uh, defensively, 
they've got some issues, but they are very, very talented. And so I, I think they're going to be able to outscore enough, you know, uh, of their opponents to be in the mix until November, you know, until that game against Georgia. Uh, I think they are going to be right there neck and neck for the SEC East title. And, and you know, you win that game, as we say with just about every team uh, at this point of the rankings, at least, you know, you, you get into that SEC championship, you have a chance to win. If you win it, odds are pretty good. You're going to make it to the playoff. You get in there, you have a shot at a national title. So, you know, I think Florida, the, the range of possible outcomes is is relatively large compared to most teams at, at this spot in our end of season power rankings because yeah I could see them taking a step back putting up another you know eight win season uh, that would be you know not as impressive as last year because it was an all SEC schedule uh, and you know maybe a fringe top twenty five type team in in you know the final AP poll. Or I could see a national title contender. So I don't have a great read on Florida yet. I think we'll know fairly early on if Emory Jones is able to be, you know, the guy at quarterback, if he is that, you know, good fit at the position for what we think Dan Mullen wants to do, or if they have to go to a guy like Anthony Richardson or maybe a true freshman, uh, that would be an issue. That would be, you know, maybe that it doesn't quite click at that position. They do go eight and five, something like that. But, you know, I, I have to think because Mullen and you know his track record is is really so good that they're going to be in the mix. They're going to be a top ten team, probably a solid number two uh, in the SEC East, and a team that's capable of beating Georgia again, of giving Alabama, uh, you know, or whoever a, a good game in the SEC championship game if they were to get there. So I don't I don't have a great read, but I, I feel pretty confident in saying that that you know our preseason top ten ranking for Florida. I have to agree with. I think they're on that level. It's just whether or not they can win a few coin flips along the way to get to the the upper echelon of of their potential. Xavier, what do you think of Florida this year? I mean, uh, like uh, like Nick said, it, it's weird in the SEC. All these teams have the talent to go and win a national title game. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Florida is right there, but they're never really far off. What do you think about them going into twenty twenty one? Yeah, I, I think that this is a team that we'll learn a lot about. And unfortunately for Emory Jones, he gets thrown to the Wolves week three as they see Alabama next year. Uh, so that's not going to be fun, even though it is a home game. Uh, that's 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 never a way you want to be thrown into the fire. So I think that that quarterback room will kind of be a revolving door. You know, what I'm hearing from Florida is that they like Emory Jones for his experience however they feel like the, the you know the freshman in behind him may be more talented uh so you know I, I think that Emory Jones will be on a short leash uh this may lead to a good thing or a bad thing you know I think last year Mac Jones was on you know a, a medium leash and he you know took that as a challenge and rose you know well beyond the challenge that he was given let's see if Emory Jones can do the same thing at Florida my biggest concern with Florida is that Emory Jones is not nearly the passer that Kyle Trask is uh not, not only that but the receiving talent that's coming back is not nearly as good you know there is no Kyle Pitts there is no Kadarius Tony uh there's not even a, uh oh my god I can't remember his 
first name, but Grimes isn't even coming back, who was a, a massive target for them in the red zone last year. You know, and, and so with all that being the case and the turnover at the quarterback position, you're really thinking, well, maybe we could lean on a running game. Well, Florida didn't really have a running game. As a whole last year, Florida ran for 1,500 yards. Now, that's not just coming from the running back. That's coming – and that's, you know, taking Damian Pierce, Malik Davis, Emory Jones, and Naquan Wright's uh, yards, as well as Kadarius Tony's, to get to that point. You know, so I'm not so sure if they can rely on a run game that was very up and down last year. Uh, some games were pretty decent. Other games was completely non-existent. I mean, that's why – you saw Kyle Trask throw as much as he had to last season. So that's a real big concern for me because if they can't really lean on that running game when the passing game isn't isn't going the way they want to, this is going to be a very one-dimensional offense going into next year. It's going to be heavily reliant on whether or not Emory Jones can make the throws or run with his feet. Uh, and that, for me, is very concerning in a conference that I think the top two teams in the conference got better at score, you know, or excuse me, are just as good, if not better, at scoring points. I think Georgia became a better team uh, passing the football with JT Daniels coming back. I think Alabama will be, you know, with the uh, struggles on the outside, even with that. I think Bryce Young is a, is a really you know, high quality and, and, and very talented player. And they'll look once again to be able to throw the football at a high level. Uh, you know, I'm looking for guys at Florida to, to make that next step. I mean, we've been talking about Britton Cox for three years now, two years now, uh, you know, for him to finally be the five-star that he was coming out of high school. Uh, so, you know, you know, Ventrell Miller, he'll be going into his, you know, he's in his last year, you know, will he take that added step that he needs to? Uh, and, you know, the, the secondary, which once again, Florida secondary is always very well coached, but nine times out of it, but you know, uh, over the last couple of years, they've had maybe not the talent, whereas they have had the coaching. I think this secondary has both. Uh, and I think the secondary isn't shouldn't be as big of a concern as it may be for Florida fans. I think really the, the concern for me is on the defensive front because of the fact that, you know, we haven't seen Britton Cox maybe take that leap into being a, a top tier talent, which he might need to going into the next year for Florida to compete at the top of the SEC. Um, I think this is a you know nine win ball club. I think they lose to Alabama. Uh, I think they lose to Georgia. And Florida always decides to give somebody one. Last year we saw with the shoe and L, uh, you know against LSU. Uh, you know I don't know who that'll be this year, uh, but I wouldn't. Once again, they do play LSU again at. Uh, in Death Valley. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if that was a game that they gave away as well. Uh, I think this is a team that, as you, Scott, and Nick both said, is capable of, of, with the talent on display, of making a run at it. I just don't think that they're better than the two teams, uh, you know, that they have to face next year, which are Alabama and Georgia. I think they're right on the outside looking in, and I think, you know, they possibly get to a New Year's Six if Georgia and Alabama both make the playoffs next year. All right, the next squad up here is going to be the uh, forgotten SEC team by Nick, the Texas A&M Aggies, which I loved, of course. Uh, 9-1 and one last year. They did beat UNC in the Orange Bowl 41-27. to 27. They have the seventh-ranked recruiting class, which is second in the SEC. Uh, 14 transfers out, only one in. They do bring back some all-SEC players. All on the offense in uh, running back Isaiah Spiller, tight end Jalen Weidermeyer, and left guard Kenyon Green. So uh, talent coming back, but they lose a ton to the NFL. Another team in this group, it always seems to happen. Quarterback Kellen Mond, wide receiver Jamon Osmond, offensive tackle Dan Moore, uh, Ryan McCollum, the interior offensive lineman, uh, offensive tackle uh, Ch uh, Carson Green, 
another interior offensive lineman, Jared Hawker, Bobby Brown, the third, the defensive lineman, Buddy Johnson, the linebacker, and Anthony Hines, the third, all to the NFL. So the Aggies are losing a ton of talent here, but they still have a very, very good core, Nick. So what do you think about the Aggies going into 2021? They, I, I'm going to repeat myself again, but, you know, very uh, intriguing. Is that a, a different enough word? Team, because uh, they are right now number five in our preseason power rankings. And that surprised me. I forget that sometimes because they finished number seven, obviously. And, you know, that was on the strength of a max rated quarterback. Kevin Mond had played enough, put up enough career production that he ended up uh, reaching that maximum 100 rating according to our individual player ratings. So losing him and, and seeing a drop off to, we think it's going to be a redshirt freshman. Haynes King could be a sophomore, Zach Calzada, but you know, King right now is, is uh, 81 uh, between an 81 and 82 in our, our player rankings. Calzada is not quite to 80. He's about 78 and a half. So that's a significant drop where we're talking a, a you know maximum rated starter, a top 10 quarterback unit last year to where right now in our position strength uh, ratings, they are 83rd at the quarterback position. That's 12th in the SEC. So that's a, that's a big drop off. Now, you know, uh, Jimbo Fisher is a good quarterback coach. He does not, it sounds like after the, the spring game, and again, never really know exactly how much stock to put into to coach's quotes, but you know, one of the, the big things he said afterward was, I'm not worried about the quarterback position, and I, I kind of have to believe that on, on a couple of counts. One, I think he's probably got a big enough ego that he thinks, okay, I can get the next guy ready to go, and both of these guys have been in the system for multiple years, so you know, they're, they're seasoned, they're ready. They have not, to my knowledge, you know, uh, gone after any quarterbacks in the transfer portal. They certainly haven't brought any of them in. And they've got skill position talent just all over the place. I mean, Isaiah Spiller, as you mentioned, was an all-SEC running back. But there are two guys that I'm a lot more excited about than Spiller. And, and you know, Devin Echain is is one of the fastest players in college football, really flashed in the bowl game uh, after Spiller got hurt. Uh, Anaya Smith, who, you know, is technically a wide receiver, but plays a little running back, has played running back in the past as somebody I've seen, you know, some some uh, draft folks out there floating as a, a top 50 type prospect in early, early 2020, uh, you know, draft discussions, boards, whatever the, the term is, you know, th those guys are really, really exciting playmakers to me. They have who I think is a top five tight end in the country and Jalen Weidermeyer and they use the tight end really, really well. So, you know, they don't have maybe that go-to receiver, that, that big time, you know, guy that you're going to go to, to, to move the chains that I guess is, is Weidermeyer, but you know, they, they have enough talent there. Caleb Chapman uh, had a huge, huge game before he had uh, an, an end of season injury last year. They have a five-star on the roster in DeMond DeMoss. You know, one of those guys, hopefully they'll step up and, and become that big-time go-to receiver. I don't know it's going to be Chase Lane. He's the other returning starter there. I'm not sure it's going to be uh, Hezekiah Jones, who's who's done some good things, played, you know, 370 snaps last year, but hasn't really put up a, a ton of production yet. But if they find, you know, somebody to complement 
Smith and, and Weidermeyer as that kind of number one traditional receiver, you know, I, I think they're going to be fine at, at quarterback. I think they have an opportunity to be a really, really good offense. But my biggest question and what it sounds like, you know, those kind of the, the back end of that uh, comment from Jimbo, uh, he wanted who's going to block, who's going to block for the quarterback, who's going to block for, you know, the running game and Kenyon Green coming back all of Amer- all American. Great. And sounds like he's moving out to left tackle. They were able to bring in a big time transfer in Jameer Johnson, former starter at Tennessee. So it sounds like the tackle positions are going to be fine, but the interior, you know, not a not a whole lot of experience there. The the you know top guy on the roster behind Kenyon Green uh, has uh, sixty career snaps, and so that's you know they're, they're going to be relying on a lot of new faces up front. So that can pose some big issues. It's it's offensive line. It's difficult. You know, it doesn't always. And actually. Did a, a little research uh, project a couple of years ago. There is zero correlation between experience as far as returning starters on the offensive line and success uh, year to year. So, you know, that is a position that you can sometimes replenish without much of a drop off. Or if you are super experienced, doesn't necessarily mean it's, you know, you're going to have a, a excellent team the, the next year. So that's an unknown. I mean, are they going to be able to, uh, fill holes from what was one of the best offensive lines in the country. They're like 15th in our offensive line performance rankings last year. We're able to put up some solid, not spectacular, but solid offensive numbers. They were 11th in success rate offensively. They were 15th in EPA per play. They were 18th in points per drive. Not the most explosive offense, but you know that offensive line, they were able to, to uh, be efficient enough to win a lot of ball games. They were the second best team basically in, in the SEC last year. So, you know, I, I think that those are obviously two big, big questions, quarterback and offensive line. I think I feel a little bit better about quarterback right now than I do that offensive line. Defensively, you mentioned they lose a, a couple of big-time players. You know, Buddy Johnson was the leading tackler. Johnson and Brown were the top two in tackles for loss. Brown, the leading uh, leader in sacks last year. And – you know, I'm I'm a little concerned that the those two are so productive uh, that that those are bigger holes than you would normally you know consider. But I, I also think they're they're going to be okay. They play a style of offense that you know lends itself to to not putting allowing a bunch of uh, possessions, a bunch of points, things like that, that. That their style of offense protects their defense a little bit, and they're pretty good defensively and, and, you know, not spectacular again, but top 30 in points per drive, top 40 in success rate allowed, top 50 in, in yards per play allowed and, and EPA per play against an all SEC schedule against, you know, North Carolina, in the bowl game. That's still, I think good enough. That's probably top 25 level on a normal uh, schedule type type year. So I think Texas A&M could be in a similar spot. I mean, our numbers actually think that they're going to be a little bit improved uh, which is, is strange to think about when there are questions at the quarterback position specifically because it's such a big point drop off the way we calculate things. But they've been consistent. They rank, uh, you know, top 20 in our five-year weighted team performance numbers. Uh, they rank 14th in, in three-year weighted team performance, and they put up a top 10 team performance rating last year. So they are trending in the right direction. 
Jimbo Fisher ranks fifth in our head coach rankings, sixth in our offensive coordinator rankings. Uh, Dan Elko is a top 15 defensive coordinator, assuming he doesn't leave for the Kansas head coaching job, which it sounds like he's, you know, one of the, the final five, four or five for that. But, uh, you know, I think they're well coached enough. I think they are, uh, you know, have enough returning at the skill position and enough returning on defense that they're going to be fine. They're going to be similar, uh, I think, record-wise as they were last year. Right now we project them to win nine and a half games, and that's a that's a really high number in, in our, uh, you know, win totals. So they, they have a, a pretty good schedule. It matches up really well. We only have them as an underdog against Alabama. So there will be obviously some tough matchups along the way, but this is a team that is capable of – being a solid number two in the SEC West, probably the the top challenger to Alabama over the course of the a full season, if they are able to to pull off uh, what would be a, a, an upset of about a, a touchdown, you know, they certainly could be a, an SEC title contender. It's it's kind of hard to to say that because Alabama has been so or, you know, was so dominant last year. And then LSU, you think, okay, well, they were the most recent one to, to beat them. And, and so I, I don't know if I necessarily believe it. Uh, but right now the numbers are pointing to Texas A&M as, as solidly the best, second best uh, SEC West team, a top three SEC team, and, and probably the, the top challenger to Alabama in the West. So if that quarterback position works itself out, if offensive line works itself out, you know, like everybody else we talked about today, you know, playoff contender. Uh, Xavier, is this too many ifs uh, for Texas A&M, or do you think that they're uh, they're, they're going to be a, a solid team in the SEC again? I mean, th- moving to the SEC has been so good for a So good they for get, them, yeah. They get these incredible recruiting classes. They're on TV yeah. all the time. They're playing against some of the best teams in the country. It was a really smart move for them. Agreed. When are you guys going to move to the SEC? Well, we could take Texas, too. Uh, I mean, well, uh, we're going to wait and start our own super conference like soccer tried to do. That's what we're going to do. Uh, um, but no, I, I think Nick hit a, a really good point as to why I don't think Texas A&M is going to be as big of a drop off as we've talked about with some of our, uh, these previous teams, especially at the quarterback position. Texas A&M, and as good as Kellen Mond was, they weren't reliant on him to be great for them to win games. And I think that they're going to employ that even more so now that there's a quarterback change. I mean, you look at Kellen Mond's numbers last year, you know, 18 of 20, uh, or sorry, 188 of 297, uh, 2,282 yards, 19 touchdowns, three interceptions. That's a very, can a freshman come in and do that and reciprocate those numbers? Absolutely. Or excuse me, replicate those numbers? Absolutely. It's because like Nick said, they, they rely, they are a very balanced offense. You know, they're not going to necessarily throw it 50 times, you know, 45 times a game, but they're also not just going to run the football. And I think, you know, with Isaiah Spiller, we're going to get a heavy dose of him next year. I mean, he might be, you know, the most used back in the SEC going into next season. I, I wouldn't be surprised by that whatsoever. Uh, you know, and, and I do think, you know, we're going to see a lot of Jalen, uh, you know, uh, Weidermeyer, who once again is going to be is a part of a, a really good tight end class going into 2021. Uh, Nick hit on the head. If they figure out the quarterback situation, which, like I said, may be a revol- which I think may be a revolving door. I think, uh, you know, uh, Haynes King has it 
right now, but it, it's it's going to go back and forth as summer and, and fall uh, gets here. And, and Jimbo's not one to really show his cards on who his quarterback is. We know that from Florida, from his time at Florida State. He's probably going to do the same thing here at Texas A&M. So we probably won't know until maybe August who the starting quarterback for A&M is next year, and that will probably continue to happen as the season progresses. Also, I think their schedule for them is actually very favorable. They don't see Alabama until, you know, week six, uh, which allows the freshman uh, or whoever it is to get their footing and their non-conference schedule and even their early SEC schedule. I believe it's very favorable for them. Uh, you know, Kent State, Colorado, New Mexico, just good enough to not be complete cupcakes. Uh, so you're getting quality starts out of these guys uh, from game number one. And the first two SEC matchups before Alabama, excuse me, are Arkansas and Mississippi State, which once again, I think are quality matchups and give you a chance to, you know, get quality starts in. I think their defensive front might be one of the best in the SEC. I think, you know, I'm really looking uh, at DeMarvin Leal. This is a guy who I think takes that jump uh, in, in his junior season. I think he's going to be a really, really good player for them next year. Uh, and, and he could play both ways, inside or out, which is, you know, obviously a, a draft uh, scout's dream. Uh, and I think the secondary takes a step where last year they were, you know, and it showed in the um, – in the bowl game last year, I think they were a little bit better in that second half against North Carolina. They they learned from their mistakes early on against Sam Howell and, and one of the better receiving cores in the country. And I think they're going to be able to look towards that as a means to, you know, say, well, hey, we played against arguably the number one quarterback in this year's draft and against, you know, guys who will probably be drafted in the third and fourth round this year and De'Ami Brown and Daz Newsom, we can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a lot of the other receiving cores in this conference, and I absolutely agree with them. I think Texas A&M is a team that can definitely – I think this is a team that outside of the Alabama game is a favorite in every single one. They're absolutely uh, a contender in the SEC West. They are the second-best team, as Nick alluded to. Uh, and then they get the Alabama game at home. So that, you, you know, Alabama in College Station – We've seen what can happen there before. So, you know, I do like Texas A&M going into next year, and I don't think the loss of Kellen Mond is going to hurt them as much due to the balance that they already showed on offense last season. All right, the next squad up here, Nick, is Notre Dame. And uh, Notre Dame, 11-1 last year, of course, lost to Alabama in the Rose Bowl, 31-14. Ninth-ranked recruiting class for them, 14, 14 transfers out. Uh, one transfer in, returned some really good talent in running back Kyron Williams uh, on the offensive line. Uh, they are bringing back, sorry, I lost my spot, or excuse me, on the def defensive line, uh, Myron, Tunga Viola, Mosa, uh, and safety Kyle Hamilton. Another one of these squads that loses just an insane amount to the NFL this year, though. Uh, Ian Book, the starting quarterback, wide receiver Javon McKinley, uh, transfer in wide receiver Bennett Skwarnick, Tight end Tommy Tremble, left tackle Liam Eichenberg, left guard Aaron Brooks, uh, Tommy Kramer, off offensive tackle Robert Hainsey. So four starting offensive linemen gone. Uh, edge rusher Dalen Hayes, now another edge rusher in uh, a day on Kandeji, uh, linebacker JOK, Jeremy Awuso Koromoa, all go to the NFL. So they lose big, big pieces, including four offensive linemen, Nick. So going to be. Hard to repeat, but if there's any squad that is a just plug in a new recruit or the next guy up, a bunch of five stars uh, guys, it seems to be Notre Dame. So can they stay competitive with losing so much? They, uh, you know, and, and I've mentioned this in previous shows as well. It seems like for whatever reason, I mean, maybe you can just make a connection between any two teams anyway, but it seems like when in these chunks of Tim that we've been doing throughout, a lot of the teams remind me of each other. 
And Notre Dame reminds me a little bit of Iowa State. They remind me a little bit of uh, BYU. They remind me a little bit of Texas A&M in the way their roster is uh, sort of put together. And, and the Iowa State one might not make a lot of sense uh, at first, but, um, you know, they, they are similar to BYU in the just level of production is so vast that, that, that they're having to replace. I mean, according to our uh, calculations, the guys that you mentioned leaving for the NFL draft account for over 9,000 snaps from last season. And that same group played almost 6,000 snaps the previous season. I don't have official full numbers, uh, you know, put together all in a, in a uh, one nice little chart yet, but I, I think that's going to be pretty close to number one nationally as far as number of snaps from last season uh, gone. So, you know, Ian Book gone. Quarterback position is, is a little bit of an issue. They brought in uh, Jack Cohn has experience, you know, as a a 18 game starter in the big 10, but not necessarily the, you know, most exciting quarterback doesn't have a, a, you know, a lot of uh, big time stats as a passer, as a runner, anything like that, you know, so I expect the, the drop off statistically to be, uh, not huge, but significant, I think, from from Ian Book. Uh, they do, of course, you mentioned Kyrie Williams coming back. Really came out of nowhere last year to become one of the running backs, you know, top running backs in the country. But who's going to be a playmaker? Other than Michael Meyer, who is probably a top three, top five tight end in, in college football, you know, there they're are a lot of new faces at, at wide receiver. They are, uh, you know, going to bring back Kevin Austin, who I think is the most talented guy they've got, but he was, you know, suspended two years ago. He was injured last year, has played 25 snaps the last two seasons. You know, that that's, it's difficult to say, okay, we're going to rely on him to be our go-to number one wide out, but they, they have brought in a lot of talented guys. I mean, Braden Lindsay, very talented. Jordan Johnson only played 26 snaps last year, but was a, a you know, fringe five-star wide receiver. And, and then, you know, guys like Avery Davis, Lawrence Keyes, they have, have played a bit over the last few years, but haven't quite, you know, they, they just haven't been super productive or at least, uh, you know, consistent production. So I, I'm a little bit concerned about outside of Kyron Williams, who are the playmakers on, on offense? And then the offensive line, I mean, this is, this is a turnover, maybe unlike any in, in, college football they uh, do have four guys who, who played over 100 snaps last year but only one was a, a full-time starter Jarrett Patterson he was injured at the end of last season they don't know exactly what spot he's going to to uh, play is he going to be the center uh, which he played most of last year is he going to bump out and, and play tackle it sounds like they might start a true freshman at left tackle Blake Fisher uh, who's very, very talented, high four-star, you know, type, fringe five-star type guy. But uh, do you necessarily want a, a true freshman starting at, at left tackle for you? So, you know, I, I've, I've got some real concerns offensively. I've also got, I think, some reasonable concerns defensively. You mentioned uh, Owosu Koromo. It sounds like is you know, maybe a first-round, high first-round type guy, uh, one of the best defensive players in, in college football, certainly last year. He's a 100-rated player according to our numbers. They also lost Dalen Hayes, who was a 100-rated player. 
Ade uh, Ogadeji was a, a 97. You know, a couple guys in the secondary were uh, between mid 80s, mid 90s. So significant losses, but they do bring back some some real key building blocks. Kyle Hamilton might be the best safety in college football. Certainly an All-American type guy, a, a future first rounder, I would expect. Uh, they do bring back, you know, you mentioned Myron uh, Tungavala Mosa is, is a, you know, all ACC performer last year, uh, but somebody you can build around on the interior of the defensive line, along with, with Kurt Heinisch, who is a, a returning starter there. So they've, they've got building blocks where I think, you know, Drew White, I mean, or should mention it at linebacker, a, a real veteran there, kind of still, you know, one at least building block at each level of that defense that you think they'll be able to fill out with some very talented pieces. Inexperience is an issue. We do weight our position strength numbers by experience and career production. So going down position by position is a little bit scary for a team that we expect to be a top 20, top 15, maybe even top 10, you know, playoff contender, uh, 64th at, at quarterback in our, our position rankings. They're 26th at, at the offensive skill positions. They're still 12th on the offensive line, but, you know, we mentioned so much turnover there. 27th on the defensive line, 34th at, at linebacker, 17th at, at in the secondary. So overall, defensively, they rank 21st in, in our talent numbers. They rank 25th on offense. That, that's a significant step back. But if you look at pure talent, as you mentioned, you know, Scott, they they do recruit really well. They've really, you know, take their their they've taken their recruiting game to a new level in, in recent years. They actually rank, according to just the average 247 rating, 14th at quarterback, 10th at running back you know, eighth at the skill positions, fourth on the offensive line. They've recruited the offensive line as well as anybody in college football. Uh, and then defensively, you know, we're talking about our, our unit rankings in the teens, 20s, even 30s. Well, at the defensive line from just pure talent, 247 rating, 10th on the offensive line, uh, 14th at linebacker, 14th at the secondary. So they're more talented than than they might look the way we calculate things from an experience standpoint. So that's why they kind of, remind me a little of Iowa State, they're, they're kind of the reverse. They're kind of a, a, a reverse test case of Iowa State where the talent profile is actually pretty good, but the experience and, and career production coming back is lacking. So they're, they're a bit of the inverse there. So I'm, I'm curious to watch how Iowa State performs. I'm curious to watch how Notre Dame performs, and it's difficult to, to really – draw any major con you know conclusions on just one team how one team fares but i think those two you know it, it, it's really really going to be uh fascinating for me to watch how does the the more talented pure talent team compare to the team that maybe you know has a talent profile outside of the top 50 but is so experienced that they've been able to to really close the gap i'm going to be paying close attention to these two to see how our numbers are going to look moving forward? Are we going to be able to learn something from Notre Dame? Are we going to be able to learn something from Iowa State where, you know, hey, have, have we kind of, have we been doing this correctly? Have, have we been doing this the right way by how we're waiting for experience and production? So, you know, I'm, I'm going to caution myself to, to not over uh, analyze these two specifically. We'll certainly look at all 130 teams, but these two teams I think are going to be real sort of a, a bellwether for, for 
some of the things that, you know, how we evaluate ourselves when we self-scout in the, in the off season, the way we come up with our projections, the way we come up with our, our talent numbers, our overall uh, team strength numbers. So uh, Notre Dame for me, big step back in experience. I, I think they're still talented enough to really compete. They look like at least an eight win team, uh, but there are a lot of losable games on the schedule as well. We have them favored in 11 of 12, but a lot of toss-ups. I mean, I, I can count one, two, three, four, uh, four games within a field goal and another three within a, a touchdown. That That's a difficult you know path to take to double digit wins. So, you know, I think because of the experience, eight, nine wins seems reasonable. But if if they do grow and if those uh talented players put up a lot of production early like Kyron Williams did last year, this absolutely is a, a team capable of of 10 wins. But I, I think I'm gonna have to uh be a little more cautious and expect eight or nine and they're 17th in our preseason power rankings. So our numbers do expect a, a step back of, of you know pretty significant double-digit uh, places in, in those rankings. So very, very intriguing team. I don't have a great read, but uh, Notre Dame, super interesting, like, like all the others, I guess. I mean, another top team here, Xavier, but as Nick mentioned, uh, you know, lots of tops uh, toss-ups on a team that is uh, kind of – you know, not rebuilding the roster, but replacing so much experience here. Uh, it's kind of hard to expect all those toss-ups to go your way when that much is happening. What do you think about Notre Dame? Yeah, I think this is a team, I think outside of BYU, this is a team that takes the, the farthest drop out of any of the teams we've talked about on today's episode. You know, when I look at this Notre Dame team, I look at the team that, absolutely right, like you said, has lost so much experience. And I think for me, even getting bringing in Jack Cohn for what would probably just be a one-year filler, it still doesn't fix the quarterback situation enough for me. When you look at Ian Book last year, you know, you'll, you'll say, oh, well, they had similar numbers. And you wouldn't be incorrect with that statement whatsoever between Jack Cohn and Ian Book. Uh, when you look at Jack Cohn's 2019 year and Ian Book's 20, uh, 2020 year. However, even with all of the experience they had on the offensive line last year, Ian Book still was uh, you know was able to be much more mobile than anything Jack Cohen has done in his career from from a running perspective. You know Ian Book ran for nine touchdowns last year, ran for almost 500 yards last year to go on top of the 15 touchdowns and three interceptions that he threw for as well. So when you look at it from that perspective, the the gap is much more is much bigger between Ian Book and, and Jack Cohen. Uh, and I'm not so sure that Jack Cohen is going to be able to. He he doesn't have the mobility that suggests that with such a young offensive line. He's going to be able to move out of the pocket if necessary, which worries me. I'll be honest. Uh, you know, when you're talking about their schedule, they do have to play some, some some fairly great defenses. You know, we're talking about them having to play Wisconsin, having to play Cincinnati. USC will be no slouch. Virginia Tech tends to always have at least one pass rusher that can get to, that can get home. And, and you know, you start the year off with Florida State that has at least the talent on paper that may be able to get home. And that concerns me for a, for a guy in Jack Cole who's going to be a pretty sedentary quarterback. He's going to sit in the pocket. He's going to try to dissect you from there. Uh, I see a lot happening from. Kyron Williams this year. They're going to lean on him a ton uh, this season. I just genuinely think because of the fact that he is the most talented player that they have on offense, and I think he has the most home run hitting potential out of any player on the offense as well. So I see them, them leaning there. Offensively, they just really do scare me a bunch, uh, you know, with Jack Cohn, with the youth that they have at their receiving core. 
Uh, and they're going to be relying on some of these, you know, close matchups. You know, they're going to have to keep games really close to see themselves winning. Their defense is going to have to play above and beyond, uh, in my opinion, for them to get to that 10-win mark that Nick said that, that Nick said is a possibility. Uh, I think their defense would have to play, you know, exceptionally well for them to do that because I think most of their performances offensively are going to be around 20 to 27 points a game. Uh, and in college football, you know, that doesn't necessarily guarantee you a win at all, especially when you're playing offenses like a Toledo, like a Toledo excuse me, or like a North Carolina, which they'll have to see next year. Uh, so, for me, I think this is a team that finishes seven and five, eight and four. I think there's just too many toss-ups on the schedule for me that I can't guarantee. You know, this, I don't think there's a game on their schedule that I can sit here and say is a is a guarantee. Maybe outside of Georgia Tech at home, uh, you know, and that's just and that doesn't necessarily mean anything because that's games on November 20th. So who knows what Georgia Tech looks like by that point? We expect them to take a, a, at least a step forward in Jeff Sims' uh, second year. So I, I'm really concerned with with Notre Dame going into this year I'll be honest with you all right next squad up after Notre Dame here is Oklahoma nine and two last season beat Florida 55 to 20 in the Cotton Bowl as we mentioned earlier 11th ranked recruiting class uh, first in the big 12 17 transfers out lots of guys moving but Oklahoma does this every year uh Three, a uh, couple transfers in, including four-star running back from Tennessee, Eric Gray, and two other Tennessee four-stars, offensive tackle, Wanya Morris, and cornerback, Key Lawrence. Uh, so uh, lots of returning talent as well. Wide receiver Marvin Mims, H-back Jeremiah Hall, nose guard Perry and Winfrey, edge rusher Isaiah Thomas, and kicker Gabe Bridchick, all Big 12 uh, all Big 12 last year, and you know Spencer Rattler uh, already being kicked around as possibly the number one overall draft pick in 2022 in the NFL. Uh, then we've got um, a lot of guys leaving, but not as much talent as you'd expect. Running back Ramondre Stevenson, offensive tackle Adrian Ely, center Creed Humphrey, edge rusher Ronnie Perkins, cornerback Trey Hornwood, and cornerback Trey Brown all gone to the NFL. So uh, Joe John Finley comes over as a new assistant head coach uh, for offense uh, from Ole Miss last year, Nick. So uh, lots to like about Oklahoma, unfortunately for me, going into this season. Yeah, and finally a team I feel like I have a pretty good read on for you know the last the last few here with with uh, Notre Dame, Texas A and M, Florida. I, I you know I, I I know what our numbers say, but I don't really uh, know if I believe it quite yet. I believe Oklahoma is is one of the top teams in college football and you know they finished last year fifth in our power rankings and and that was actually you know statistically we're used to Oklahoma having one of if not the best offense in, in college football and at least in the numbers that we uh, look at closest they took a bit of a, a step back only one of those you know five important stats uh, did they finish in the top 10 nationally that was yards per pass attempt they were eighth but they were 18th in EPA per play Offensively, they were 20th in success rate, 15th in points per drive, and, and 18th in yards per play. So, you know, we're used to seeing one, two, three in, in those categories for Oklahoma. So that is a, a small concern because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm we're used to banking on Oklahoma being just – uh, putting putting points up, lighting up the scoreboard, uh, tons of yards, tons of points, all, all that. But the the flip side, I think, a little bit that 
that maybe I, I shouldn't be too worried is the defense took a significant step forward. And, you know, they ranked uh, still third in our offensive team performance rankings last year, but they actually ranked 15th defensively. And, you know, that that's obviously a, a solid defense, but to just look at the three-year progression, in 2018, they ranked 110th in our defensive team performance numbers. 2019, they ranked 57th. So to see the three, you know, seasons under a uh, defensive coordinator, uh, and my mind just went went blank. Who's there? Uh, but but the uh, Oklahoma defense has has taken a significant step forward over the last three seasons to where it's actually a pretty good defense now. And and you know the the Alex Grinch. Thank you, Xavier. Alex Grinch, who's who's uh, you know really solidified himself as as one of the better defensive coordinators in college football. He's 18th in our DC rankings, and and our those numbers actually didn't give him a ton of respect from from when he was coming from Washington State. So he's made significant uh, improvements there. But you know this now is a unit they can rush the passer. I mean they're losing Ronnie Perkins, who's who's a big loss. Uh, one of the best pass rushers in, in college football, I thought. So, you know, that that is a loss. But guys like Nick Benito, guys like Isaiah Thomas really emerged as, uh, uh, you know, great pass rushers in, in the Big 12, among the best in the conference. And, and you know, both those guys are back. They're bringing back uh, significant uh, playing time in the front seven, really in, in the entire defense. If, if you look at, yeah, they're losing, uh, you know, Braden Radley Hines and, and a couple of starters at corner uh, to the NFL, Radley Hines transferred to Washington. But, you know, Jaden Davis played over 50% of their snaps last year. Pat Fields, Darian, uh, Dalen Turner, Yell, uh, those two guys at, at safety played over 50% of the snaps. Woody Washington as a, you know, coming in as a, a sophomore corner, third-year player, played over 400 snaps at corner last year. DJ Graham played 240 snaps last season. So, you know, they, they do bring enough back and then added Keith Lawrence's tra- as a, a transfer there where I think that the defense is going to be able to at least maintain that top 15 type level of uh, performance, of, of team performance. They, they do seem to me like a top 15 defense. And, you know, the, the, the roster strength numbers have been there. They've been a top 10 uh, defense as far as talent goes. They actually ranked, uh, you know, uh, let's, let's real quick, sorry. Uh, at the end of last season, they ranked 11th in, in our defensive uh, roster strength numbers. And that was with a couple of guys um, who had already made their, their NFL draft decision before the, the bowl game. So that's up to seventh now in our uh, early defensive roster strength numbers. You couple that with a top two offense as far as uh, roster strength numbers to go with a, you know, top 10, at least top five uh, offensive team performance, what we expect they'll look like on the field with Spencer Rattler now having a full year as a starter under his belt with Kennedy Brooks coming back after up and out last year, a two-time thousand-yard rusher, throw in Eric Gray, who a lot of people think is the more talented of the two running backs, gives you a, a, an excellent one-two punch. So I don't think they're going to see any drop-off from Stevenson leaving for the NFL draft. Marvin Mims was one of my favorite receivers to watch in, in college football last year. You know, Led the team in a lot of the big-time receiving uh, numbers 
as a true freshman. And then you throw in a guy like Theo Weiss. They added Mike Woods, a, a big time deep threat just this week as a transfer from Arkansas. Uh, Jaden Hazelwood, former top recruit at, at the wide receiver position. And then, you know, Mario Williams, a, a five-star true freshman, was the, the big-time performer in the spring game. So is he ready to contribute at a big-time level? And then, you know, they've got the, the pieces that we don't often think about, like Austin Stogner at tight end, H-back Jeremiah Hall. You know, they, they are stacked. And I thought I was really, really smart in January when I was just sort of getting the, the very first look at transitioning our team profiles from 2020 to 2021. And I was like, man, Oklahoma might be, you know, preseason uh, number one team in, in college football. And, and I, th- I thought I was so smart when they were uh, getting ready to release those very, very early national championship futures. I thought for sure I was going to get great value on Oklahoma. And turns out they were you know, had the, the fourth high, uh, highest odds or whatever. So not quite as smart. Of, a lot of people were just as smart as I was or, or can clearly read a, a depth chart or a you know, roster. So it, 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 you know, it makes sense. Oklahoma, we all expect, I think, to be the Big 12 favorite. We all expect to be a playoff contender. I think they are a legitimate national championship contender. They're third in our preseason power rankings. Uh, they are not far behind Alabama and Georgia, and those two teams are going to beat up on each other potentially along with other SEC teams. I think Oklahoma, if they can survive with one loss in the, the regular season, because unfortunately they do always seem to, to uh, slip up, you know, if they can avoid losing a game they shouldn't to Kansas State or, you know, split what I think will be two meetings with Iowa State, they get through with, with one loss. They're going to be capable of, of matching with Alabama finally. You know, they, they are going to be capable of matching with Georgia if they get to the, the playoff and, and face uh, one of those two teams in, in that, you know, semifinal round. Will they beat them? Uh, you know, obviously a lot of time between now and then, a lot of unknowns. But I think as the roster stacks up right now, you know, recruiting profile, pretty good. A lot of top 10 classes uh, over the past few years, transfers coming in, they're they're a top three roster right now in college football. And the you know offensively, the the pr- production, the team performance has always been there. The defense is is moving in the right direction. So I I think that this is one of the elite teams in college football as we look ahead to 2021. And I absolutely think uh, that they could be the national champion. Ooh, Xavier, your thoughts on Oklahoma going into 2021. Sorry, I had to slip that in there. No, no, you're absolutely fine. I'll throw one in myself, boo. Uh, I, I genuinely think Nick has been overhyping Oklahoma for the last four months now. Uh, this is a team that Just I think – Just you wait, pal. And, and that's fine. And that's fine. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I've been wrong on this podcast a bunch. Uh, but, you know, I, I genuinely look at this Oklahoma team as a team that last year – benefited from the fact that they had four bye weeks. I mean, I'm sorry. You probably were playing the freshest, you know, team in the country week in and week out when you have not one, not two, not three, but four bye weeks last well, season. Oh, I, I do have to interject here a little bit. And, and it's it's uh, to, to look back on it, sometimes mm-hmm. we forget, but several of those were COVID cancellations, 
where you know you're you're prepping all week and your opponent uh, comes out can't play and, and they had a few of those that got canceled on uh, like at least a Tuesday if not a Wednesday or Thursday I don't remember all the specifics and it's tough to to recall obviously but yeah they didn't play every week had a few Saturdays mm-hmm. off but either they were dealing with some stuff or they had practiced and prepared for a game and then had a late cancellation. So off week is not, I wouldn't say off week. I wouldn't say fully rested and, and all of that. I think that that's something we need to, to remember when we're trying to look back is, is, I mean, yeah, they didn't play every week, but also that meant that their season stretched really, really long. That that's, got its own toll as well. So I, I do want to push back on that a little bit because off week, I wouldn't say is, is the right word there. I mean, and and I'll, I'll, I'll say this where, where is your right? I will say that that does assist in fixing key issues that plagued the team early on in the year. And that number one issue was the inconsistencies of, of, of Spencer Rattler. When you do have an extra week or when you do have a week in which you don't have to play, but you can sit there and prepare instead, that does help. Uh, you know, this is a team that easily could have started off the year last year one in three if it wasn't for uh, the, the four overtime game where Texas had many a chances to win that game. You know, and, and would we have been talking about Oklahoma if they didn't have arguably one of the easiest stretches to end the season possible when you played TCU, Texas Tech, Kansas, Oklahoma State, and Baylor? Uh, and, and you know that, that that's and that's fair. You win the you're supposed to win the games that are in front of you, and I'm not disagreeing whatsoever. But the only competition in which they played last year, they they looked okay. They looked they looked good. They didn't look national championship quality, in my personal opinion. The only game in which they did was against Florida, and many people would argue Florida wasn't playing with a litany of players that can be run down by several Florida fans on my Twitter. Um, so when I look at Oklahoma going into this year. I will say that I think they are a tad bit overhyped. I think the defense down the road, down the stretch played offenses outside of Texas Tech that were not all of that great. So they were able to definitely benefit off of that. And so the numbers look great for their defense down, down the stretch because of that fact. I want to see what that defense can do for 12 games. Oklahoma's never been known for their defense whatsoever. And I understand that they've gotten – uh, increasingly better year in and year out, but I would like to see that over 12 games. Spencer Rattler, and then this is, you know, I don't think that he'll have a sophomore slump, but typically in year two of a lot of quarterbacks, teams start to give them the keys a little bit more. They don't pull the, you know, they don't pull on the reins as much. Is how is he going to play and how is he going to thrive in that? Or is he going to need to be is he going to need to be pulled back a little bit? I think Spencer Rattler is another one that I'm is a is a question mark for me. It's not massive, but I do see him possibly having a uh, statistically not as good of a year as a whole as what he did last year uh, from that perspective. I just for me, I think there's a lot of hype around Oklahoma, and every year we do this, Oklahoma lets us down. It, it, this this has been what this is going on my. 12th year watching college football. And I don't think there's been a single year that Oklahoma came in with massive uh, implications or massive uh, ideas that they were a team that stepped up to that, to, to the table. And maybe that changes under, obviously under Lincoln Riley versus under Stoops. But I, I still think there's something to be said that every time that Oklahoma is thought of as a national championship contender, they're not there come, you know, come, come January. And so that's where I, I have, res- I still have reservations on Oklahoma so going into this year, I think they can run the table, but I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking at Oklahoma by their bye week as a team with two losses. 
they lose to Texas. And, you know, once again, they have that that dangerous back-to-back where it's at Kansas State, at Texas. They do not play well in Manhattan. They just don't. I don't know what it is. I don't. I can't explain it. And to not play well in Manhattan, then the very next game you're playing easily, the biggest game of the year for you is not a good recipe for them. Uh, I see this team losing two because this is this is what Oklahoma does when they are favored this highly and when they are thought of as this highly going into the year. Love it. I, I love this take on Oklahoma, Xavier. This is my favorite one of your takes so far <laughs> in the offseason. Uh, but we move on here, Nick. We don't have to hate my next one up. Oklahoma, <laughs> Georgia, eight and two. They beat Cincinnati 24-21 in the Peach Bowl last year. Fourth ranked recruiting class, third in the SEC. Just crazy. Uh, Ten trans- transfers out, one transfer in in former four-star West Virginia safety Tyke Smith. Uh, punter Jake Camarda is the only returning All-SEC player to this Georgia <laughs> roster. Uh, once again, a team that loses an incredible amount to the NFL. Quarterback Jamie Newman, who didn't even play. But uh, tight end Trey McKitty, uh, right guard Ben Cleveland, who eats squirrel, center Trey Hill, interior defensive lineman Malik Herring, uh, edge rusher Aziz Ujolari, uh, linebacker Monty Rice, cornerback DJ Daniels, cornerback Tyson Smith, safety Mark Webb, safety Richard LeCount the third, and cornerback Eric Stokes, all expected to get drafted uh, in the upcoming days here during the NFL draft. Uh, lots of a loss on this roster here. Lots of experience, Nick, but uh, Georgia, once again, a team that can replace guys uh, fairly quickly. Yeah, and and this uh, Georgia team, I had a very similar feeling about them as that as I did Oklahoma. That same, you know, early January, late December uh, time period, where you know maybe maybe I was a, a little smarter here because a lot of people probably didn't expect Georgia. Uh, or you know, maybe didn't expect them to to be a team that could be a preseason number one or two or three in in some uh, power rankings and, and other analytical models and and sort of the way I was seeing things shape up because JT Daniels, former five star quarterback, ends up becoming the starter. You know, now finally that quarterback position that was such a question mark for a lot of the the 2020 season seems like that's a, a solid thing. He's going to be you know, a 97 uh, rated player in the preseason, according to our numbers, maybe that's slightly overrated because he had, you know, played four games in the last or five games in the last two years. But, you know, that, that seemed to be the missing piece for me from a, a roster strength standpoint, because you mentioned the top five recruiting classes, and that was a little bit of a step back from what we've seen in, in the previous few cycles. They were second in our recruiting strength numbers in 2020, second in 2019, first in 2018, and, and third in 2017. So every player on the roster, if they were signed by Georgia coming out of high school, has been part of a, a top five class and almost all of them a top three class. So this is among the most talented rosters in the country. In fact, we think that, or our numbers say, that Georgia is number one overall in roster strength in, in 2021. And that doesn't necessarily maybe jive with, with our eyes when we look at the just pure amount of uh, players leaving. And there are some real trouble spots. Defensively, the back seven loses a ton. And the secondary specifically, I mean, you know, we're talking, you mentioned five guys off to the NFL draft. They could have five guys 
from the secondary get drafted. And, and in addition to that, you lose uh, Tyreek Stevenson as a transfer to Miami. So that that's a big issue, and it, it's certainly one worth monitoring. Also worth monitoring is the receiving position, and, and specifically injuries. George uh, George Pickens uh, looked like a you know potential first round future uh, wide receiver at times over his first couple of years. Well, unfortunately, suffered an ACL injury uh, in spring practice that it looks like is going to you know force him to miss at least the first half of of next season, if not the entire season. Last year, they lost Jermaine Burton to a knee injury, uh, or, or excuse me, this year they lost Jermaine Burton uh, to a knee injury in, in, in spring. It looks like it's not going to be as significant, but uh, previously Dominic Blaylock and Marcus uh, Rosemey uh, Jackson, both of those guys, significant, significant injuries in, in 2020. So, you know, it, it's, it's worrisome. Are, are they going to have enough guys from a unit that hasn't necessarily lived up to its talent potential it's it's you know roster strength numbers the the offense hasn't quite broken out yet we saw over the final four games we saw you know when JT Daniels was was put in as the starter things started to open up a little bit started to attack down the field a little bit more you know maybe they will be able to take that next step I'm optimistic about that uh but I also, you know, kind of like a lot of folks out there, I think have to to really see it to believe it. But the biggest issue remains the secondary. I, I think they're going to be fine in the front seven. I think even though talent turnover is is significant, you know, two interior defensive linemen coming back, a very very talented uh, crop of defensive linemen that that you know has played here and there. Four guys have over 200 snaps last season. Uh, two guys, you know, uh, are multi-year starters. So I think they're going to be okay up front. The linebacker core, Nakobe Dean, is is uh, a very very solid player. You know, Quay Walker, I think, is is ready for a, a bigger role. Adam Anderson was one of the most productive pass rushers in a very small amount of time in college football. I mean, you look at his PFF grades as a pass rusher, just off the charts. Uh, so really excited to see him get a full season as, as a you know full-time starter, full-time contributor. He's talented enough that they were considering, you know, before Tyke Smith transferred in, maybe he was going to play the star position, that, that hybrid uh, linebacker safety uh, position. They got the fifth defensive back. So, you know, I, I, I think that they're going to be talented enough to be in the mix they, they are number two in our preseason power rankings, but I've got questions, you know, and, and Tyke Smith answered some of those, bringing him in as, as the, the safety position, I think is going to be just fine. Lewis Seen coming back, Christopher Smith played over 400 snaps last year. You know, they're going to be fine there. Corner, you know, Kylie Ringo missed all last season with a, uh, an injury, but he's a five-star type guy. Looks like a, a starter. Amir Speed has never quite been a major contributor. Uh, has only played, you know, uh, looks like 77 snaps the last couple of years defensively. He's appeared in 35 games in his career, but hasn't really been a contributor defensively. Can he be a starter, or are they going to have to return, you know, turn to Jalen Kimber or Deron Branch, redshirt freshman, or a true freshman, a guy like Nylon Green, you know, or, or, or those type guys 
who they're going to have to rely on out there. And, and, you know, that's, that's tricky. I mean, we, we have seen in the past, some young secondaries come to, to their full potential early on. And maybe this group is talented enough to do that and kind of help uh, a, a perceived weakness on the, uh, you know, on paper, on our, on our uh, projections, turn that into at least uh, you know, if not a strength, a, a, Kind of a, a what's the word? <laughs> not a weakness, I guess. Uh, it's possible. I could see a lot of scenarios for Georgia. I could see the offense really coming together and clicking under offensive coordinator Todd Munkin in his second year with JT Daniels, a full season healthy, with some pieces at, at you know receiver getting healthy and, and kind of capitalizing on some full potential. Running back, they've got six guys that could be all SEC caliber if they were to get enough touches. So I think they're going to be fine there. I want to see them use James Cook a little bit more creatively. The offensive line is, is I think, going to be fine. So I think Georgia is a national title contender. Like I said, I, I, I thought I was real smart about Oklahoma. I might have actually been smart with Georgia because I was able to get some, some pretty good prices. I'm more invested in Georgia and national championship futures than any uh, – team right now. They're not our number one team in the preseason, but I think that they are a team that is certainly capable of getting there. So uh, when I got, you know, those, those futures in January, they were, I think, sixth or seventh on the list. And now they're fourth. We think they're the second best team in college football on paper. They are projected favorites in every regular season game, including the opener against Clemson. That's the only game that is within a touchdown. So you know, if you're thinking they get through with one loss in the regular season, win the SEC championship, they're absolutely, I mean, they could be the number one seed in, in uh, the playoff. And and so I think that like a lot of teams that we've mentioned prior, there are questions, there are some unknowns, there are plenty of ifs. There are more ifs uh, for Georgia right now than a lot of the national championship contenders that we've yet to talk about. But I, I see this team, I uh, you know, 2019 LSU is probably a stretch, but they're a team that could make a big jump to a national title contender. I, I absolutely think that they are going to be in the mix, double-digit wins, and probably your SEC's favorite, clearly, and and potentially uh, a playoff team. And, you know, like I've said five times today, you get in the playoff, then then absolutely you've got a shot to win it all. Georgia, I think, is is definitely in that conversation. You said you're going to have a take that I'm not going to enjoy here, Xavier. I am interested. You have piqued my interest here. So uh, what do you think about Georgia going into 2021? Well, I think this is a team that obviously can run the table. I think they heavily benefit from uh, a decrease in talent around the SEC East coming into this year. You know, uh, when you and, and when you look at the conference and you look at the games, I mean, outside of the Florida matchup and the Clemson matchup, there's not much there to be concerned about if you're a Georgia fan. You know, maybe the game at Auburn might be a trap game. Uh, you know, it's never <clears> – you know, it's always a weird game going to Neyland Stadium late in the year when Tennessee looks like they may have found their footing by that point. That could be, so, you know, a trap game as well. But outside of that, you know, and obviously the Clemson and Florida game, this just Georgia team should absolutely be a playoff team next year. Uh, I think JT Daniels coming into this year – I think this is the first time I've been confident in our quarterback play 
throwing the ball down the field since Aaron Murray. I'll be perfectly honest. Uh, and, and I think that a lot of Georgia fans, I think, would agree with that sentiment. And I think for the first time, you can't just pack the box with seven and say, throw the football. Uh, and that'll be a refreshing uh, situation to see at Georgia this year. I think the loss of George Pickens is massive. Uh, I think that if he had have come in, we would have had one of the best, if not the best receiving core in the SEC coming into this year with him and Jermaine Burton and Kyrus Jackson, who I think is the most, might might be the most underrated receiver uh, in the SEC this year. I think he doesn't get enough love for what he's able to do and in, in the freak of nature that he is. Uh, but it's still a very deep receiving core. I think Darnell Washington is going to be somebody that, you know, a name that people should get to know. Uh, you know, he, he didn't get very many touches in his freshman year, but this is a 6'7", 270-pound tight end, uh, you know, out, out of Vegas. And I think that he, you know, gets more touches this year. I think he absolutely is going to be a part of the offense, especially with losing George Pickens. I think you see him be a big, a broader part of the offense as well this year. I'm not too too concerned about the offensive woes, uh, losing George Pickens and, and with maybe some of the injuries that the receivers sustained last year and maybe finding that consistency, uh, you know, with – you know, Jermaine Burton coming back with Karis Jackson, with Demetrius Robertson coming back as a super senior, uh, Darnell Washington, like I just mentioned, and, and some of the names that you even mentioned, uh, uh, Nick. But, you know, the offensive line is my biggest concern for us going into this year. Uh, I think this is an offensive line that learned a lot last year uh, and got better, uh, especially at the two tackle spots in Xavier Trust and Warren McClendon, where I thought we were very, very weak and susceptible last year. I think they have gotten better in the offseason. Uh, but interior, you know, I'm still really, you know, waiting to see, you know, uh, Jamari Sawyer make that next step, Justin Schaefer take that next step as a super senior uh, as well, where I felt like, you know, we couldn't necessarily punish people in between the tackles like we did, like, like we have done in previous years. Uh, last year, I think we, were, we struggled, especially against the better teams and, and punishing them up the middle. I mean, heck, you saw it in the Cincinnati game. In the, in the bowl game itself, we, we struggled to run the football in between the tackles uh, for, for the, the majority of that ball game. Uh, defensively, I think this might be one of Georgia's, you know, we, we lost a lot of talent, but oddly enough, I think this might be one of Georgia's more athletic defenses coming into this year. I'm not saying it's the most talented, uh, but with guys like Nolan Smith and Nicobe D Dean, I think there's a lot more, you know, Nick loves to use this word. I think there's a lot more freaks on this defense that maybe we've had in past years. I think last year's defense was a little bit, you know, less freakish, with, you know, uh, outside of Aziz Ojolari. There wasn't too many guys that just kind of wowed you with either their speed or their strength or their ability to bend. And I think there's going to be a lot more of those guys going into this year. Uh, the, the secondary, obviously, like Nick said, is a massive question mark uh, with two corners who didn't play any kind of meaningful minutes last year uh, outside of obviously, you know, and I think a game that Georgia fans can go back and watch to see how well some of these guys did play is against, is against Florida. You know, in that game, we lost, I think seven, six or seven players to the COVID protocol, obviously also losing Richard McCount in that game to a motorcycle accident. There's going to be a, there's a ton of guys who made appearances that are going to be focal points on the defense, like Christopher Smith, uh, like Lewis Seen, uh, even like Amir Speed that, made that had to play in that game and, and on all of those that you know a great game to go back and watch i think you guys can learn a lot from watching that game uh from a, a situation of understanding who the guys are that are going to be playing meaningful snaps for us this year i personally think this is a playoff team i wouldn't be surprised if they go undefeated uh the Clemson game obviously is the only question mark that i have in the entire year uh, for us i think that'll i mean that pretty much will show us exactly where we're where we're at uh, going into this year, because uh, Clemson, like we'll talk about in, in, in a couple of uh, teams, is no slouch. Uh, so, but I do think this Georgia team, if they can get over Clemson, and this is the the hot take that I have: if we play Alabama in the SEC championship game, I think this is the best chance we've had to beat Alabama in the SEC championship game 
since we lost to Hertz when he came in as a backup a couple of years ago. I genuinely feel that way. I think this is the closest when I look at it on paper, at least from an offense, I think this is the closest we look to beating Alabama in a, in a, in a good while. I mean, that, that is, that is a hot take. You know, <laughs> I, I, uh, Georgia and, and Alabama have been rough recently, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, George is a great squad. So all these teams have a shot. Uh, every team I think we've talked about today outside of maybe BYU, uh, I think has a decent shot at uh, making some noise in the playoff. So we roll on here to Ohio State, 7-1 last year, lost to Alabama 52-24 to in the college football playoff final. Second-ranked recruiting class, of course, that would put them first in the Big Ten. Two transfers out. Uh, defensive tackle Haskell Garrett is the only returning All-Big Ten player from last season, and this team loses just so much to the NFL quarterback, Justin Fields, running back, Trey Sermon, tight end, Luke Farrell, uh, center, Josh Myers, right guard, Wyatt Davis, defensive tackle, uh, Tommy Tungiai, edge rusher, John Cooper, linebackers, Baron Browning, Pete Warner, tough Borland, Justin Hilliard, and cornerback, Sean Wade, all go to the NFL. Nick, I mean, Ohio state is a plug and play school. They just keep getting, uh, you know, great recruits, obviously in the second recruit, recruiting class behind Alabama in uh, 2021 so far. So uh, they're going to be great again, like they always are. Right. I, th- I think so. And uh, you know, Ohio state last year was a bit of a roller coaster. obviously started late and, you know, had, had a hiccup here and there played kind of poorly. Some would argue against, Indiana, at least they, you know, that game ended up being a lot closer than it should have been. The Northwestern game was ugly at times. Put it all together against Clemson and Justin Fields had one of the, the most incredible performances I've ever seen in, in that game. But, you know, once once uh, they got to Alabama, just weren't quite ready to, uh, you know, really match up with what seems to be one of the best college football teams of all time. But, you know, it, it was – it was a, a bit of a strange year because Ohio State in some ways looked a little bit weaker than they did in 2019, but in, in certain spots looked like, uh, you know, the, the best Ohio State team I've seen in, in recent memory. That Clemson game specifically stands out. So they're one of the teams where, you know, I, I don't think we can we we should say that we can't, you know, carry over what we learned in, in 2020 because I think we got enough uh, experience saw enough in an, in an eight game season, but this is going to be a very different roster. You know, Justin Fields no longer there. Uh, the running game, uh, you know, with Fields, two of the three top three uh, in rushing yards gone. The the receiving core looks like the best in college football, basically, probably not even close. Uh, but with Chris Olave deciding to come back, they might have even been, uh, you know, number one in our, our receiver roster strength rankings even if he had left for the NFL draft to be a potential first round pick you know offensive line you mentioned that they're you know losing a couple of guys probably going to get drafted interior linemen but you know they return to 100 rated tackles they return uh their their five starters right now average a 95 rating uh, according to our individual player ratings which is the best in college football so they they look like the best offensive line in college football right now, even though they only bring back one, you know, you mentioned Haskell Garrett, the only 
all Big Ten performer. He's the only returning starter. He's the only guy who, who played more than 50% of the snaps on the defensive line, but they rank number one in our average player ratings, uh, you know, as a starting group on the defensive line. They rank number one in our defensive line uh, strength numbers at, at that position. They rank sixth in, in the front seven. You combine the, the defensive line ratings and the linebacker ratings. So, you know, the elite talent that they've built up over, you know, top five class after top five class is significant. And there's one obvious big, big question is the quarterback position. C.J. Stroud played eight snaps. Jack Miller III played 10 snaps. And Kyle McCord, a true freshman, obviously is is, uh, getting his first taste of college football. That's not necessarily from an experience standpoint where you want to come in at the quarterback position, but there is enough around them that I really have few, if any, concerns that that Ohio State is going to win the Big Ten. I think that they, you know, absolutely have a great shot to go undefeated. They are over a uh, field goal favorite in every game. They are over a touchdown favorite in all but one game, according to our early projections. You know, I, I mentioned what our position strength numbers look like. Those, again, are, you know, weighted for experience and career production. But if you just look pure talent, that average 247 rating, they're third at the quarterback position. They are eighth at running back, first at wide receiver and tight end, third at the skill position, third offensive line, third on offense overall, third on defense on the defensive line, third at linebacker, sixth in the secondary. And that secondary's got, you know, some significant turnover there as well. And so across the board, just in pure talent, this is a top three roster in college football. The only two that are really uh, or the only two that are, that are better are Alabama and Georgia. So absolutely, they've got the talent to beat anybody in college football. It's the experience and production. And, and this is a year where it's hard to know, you know, how much that matters because a lot of teams in college football are more experienced than they are usually because of the extra year of eligibility. You know, there, there are some teams who are going to be like an Iowa State able to really use that to bank an extra year for some big-time contributors. Ohio State is losing a lot of NFL talent. They're replacing it with you know high four and, and five-star type guys, but how much does experience matter? We, the way we've done things the last three, four years, have come up with a formula where we think it, you know, experience matters this much player to player. Uh, so we'll see the way we do it. Ohio State is coming in at a little bit of a disadvantage, taking a little bit of a step back in our power rankings. They're seventh uh, in our preseason power rankings, even though they're significant heavy favorites in all those regular season games. And almost all of that is the quarterback position. So this Ohio State team actually reminds me in some ways of Alabama last year. There's a little more unknown at the quarterback position because Mac Jones got uh, – enough playing time with, with Tua Tungabailoa being injured in the, the latter half of the 2019 season. But I wrote early on in the 2020 season to our patrons about how I thought Alabama uh, was a great example of growth ability in our power rankings because Mac Jones came in as like an 85, 86 rated player. Well, it didn't take very long for him to get to up to a 100. And, and quarterback is by far – 
you know, the, the most important position. It's the most, you know, the he- most heavily weighted in our rankings. If let's say, for example, CJ Stroud wins the job and gets, you know, early opportunities against Minnesota, who gave up a lot of points last year, Oregon, you know, tough team, but, but still Ohio state, pretty significant favorite. Tulsa lost a lot from a good defense. Akron, one of the worst teams in college football. Rutgers, uh, not on the same level at all talent-wise, even though they seem to be improving. Maryland gave up a ton of points and yards at times last year. That first half of the season, you know, C.J. Stroud might put up 10 production points. And then we're talking a guy who was almost a five-star rated player, so 97, almost 98 rated player coming out of high school. He's an 85 in our uh, experience-weighted player ratings. So he gets 10 production points. He's up to a 95. Ohio State moves up from a 10 overall and and 10 offensive roster strength ranking to top five. We're talking about Ohio State right there in the mix with Alabama and Clemson and uh, Georgia and Oklahoma as among the most talented best teams in college football very, very quickly. If that quarterback position, if they come out and, and play to a level we expect they will with the best uh, receiving core in college football with the most talented uh, offensive line and in, in college football, they're going to, they're going to cover that six uh, places in our power rankings pretty quick, or at least get up to that top four, top three, very, very quickly, even with experience of the quarterback, inexperience at the quarterback position. So I think Ohio State's a legitimate playoff contender, national championship contender. They're a team that our numbers are underrating right now, I think. And so I, you know, I haven't been heavily invested in Ohio State at all in, in you know, preseason numbers or anything, but it, it would be silly to expect a significant drop off uh, for Ohio State this year. It would be silly, I think, to have anybody else as your Big Ten favorite or pick anybody else out of the Big Ten to, to surpass them and, and be a playoff uh, contender. They are set up to dominate their conference, I think, even more so than Clemson is this year. So, you know, I think that that absolutely Ohio State is going to be in the mix for a national championship again. They might not quite have everything come together to to get it done this year, but you know, maybe CJ Stroud, maybe Jack Miller, maybe Kyle McCord becomes that next great Ohio State quarterback quickly. And you know, they really can get to that next level. So uh absolutely I I think that Ohio State is a playoff contender and, and a national championship contender, even though our early numbers see a bit of a step back as far as their preseason power ranking goes. I mean, I, I, you know, Ohio state every year, Xavier mm-hmm. is a, a team that can go to the playoff. They, they don't really right. seem to have an issue with the regular season <laughs> schedule. And then the playoff is uh, the playoffs has been their bugaboo so far, but uh, is this a squad? Do you think this team is good enough to make the playoff and win it? Or was that window maybe closed when Justin Fields left for 2021? Yeah, I, th- I think this is absolutely a team that can make it to the national championship game. I don't think they can win it. Uh, I think unless we see a, a very, very good year from CJ Stroud, I wouldn't be so sure to say that, uh, you know, he had a pretty good, I watched the, I watched the spring game, pretty good, pretty good spring game. My biggest thing with him is just, just, you know, for some reason, Ohio state, and, and this isn't just from last year, but Ohio state has this weird thing where at the beginning of the year, they, they kind of start slow you know, every now and then they, they they face a team that you're like, why is this close going into halftime? I don't get it. Um, you know, we, we saw that last year with Indiana. And 
you know, Nick, we talked about it last year. You know, they they struggled to run the football early in the year. They, I don't know if that was due to the fact uh, of, you know, was it whether was it an upfront thing? Was it a Master Teague situation? Obviously, they didn't switch to Trey Sermons down the stretch, and we saw what happened in the Big Ten championship game. Uh, but I, you know, I'll be looking towards those kind of things because obviously, when we talk about a team like Ohio State, we're looking in more of a national scope. So, you know, their, their inability to run in between the tackles, I've been looking for that this this year, uh, first couple of games, especially with them playing an Oregon team so early on. That'll be nice to see, especially with you know having to play Kayvon Thibodeau. Will they be able to protect uh, C.J. Stroud? You know, will you be playing a cave on Thibodeau every week? No, but that'll also be a good barometer of the talent that they'll have to see in the playoff. Uh, you know, offensively, C.J. Stroud has a litany of pass people to, to pass it to. You know, he gets Chris Olave back, which I think is huge for them uh, because outside of him, there was really nobody else uh, outside of him and Garrett Wilson that returned from a receiver standpoint that uh, that that. Share, had a bunch of snaps going into next year. So I thought if Chris Olave had have left, that would have been a step back, but they get him back. So that's massive for a young QB to have a guy who's been there, done that, played at the highest level. Uh, so that's massive for him in that regard. Uh, you know, I, I'm still a little bit hesitant on on whether or not Master Teague will hold down that running back position next year. Uh, he struggled a bit at times last year to, to you know, to, to keep hold of that spot. Obviously, Trey Sermon's eventually taking that spot over towards the end of the year. So I'll be looking to see, you know, if he gets better uh, next year, which will be year three for him. And defensively, I think, you know, they linebacker is really a, a massive question mark for me in the fact that they don't have a single person in their linebacking core that started a game. Uh, you know, and when you le- le- lose guys like that, where linebacker, I think, you know, we, we talk so much about the secondary with football becoming so much of a pass-heavy sport, but linebackers typically – are the the brain of the defense. They're the people who get you in the right set when the you know outside of the coaches on the sideline. They're the team. They you know they help you with audibles. And when you have guys that you know that they lost that were so integral in, in doing that, we're losing a tough Borland, we're losing a Pete Warner, we're losing a Baron Browning. Like just got you in the right set. You know you know especially with how many teams like to go no huddle. You know you can look for them to always have you in the right position from as a secondary and as a front four. That is a question. That is something that I'm looking forward to see. You know, it's not a talent perspective, but whether or not you know, in between the years, they're able to grasp the game as well as those guys did last year. Uh, obviously, Ohio State replenishes talent, you know, over and over and over again by clockwork. But hey, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, if we do see uh, you know a decline on the defensive line as far as pressure is concerned, obviously, you know they they don't have a Chase Young on their defensive line this year. But I do think you know last year they had to kind of they they had to come out of their shell a little bit and send more pressure uh, last year. And I think they really hurt them when obviously when they played Alabama towards the end of the year uh, or at the end of the year that really hurt them that they had to bring extra pressure to get to the quarterback because they just couldn't do it with the four guys up front like they typically could in the past. Uh, Obviously, I think Ohio State will run the table, we look at their schedule, and really, outside of the Oregon game, I'm really not concerned about any other matchup for them, uh, just because I think the Oregon game is so early on that they might be able to catch Ohio State slipping with a young quarterback. You know, obviously, Oregon has, you know, a litany of corners, so the ability to throw on them is going to be difficult. Uh, luckily for them, it is at, it, it is in Columbus, uh, so they are going to have that game at home. But I wouldn't be surprised if we walk away from – if after that week, win or a loss, people walk away questioning whether or not Ohio State come on the table just because of that early, uh, that early matchup. Uh, outside of that, I like them in every other game uh, to go ahead and, and handle business. Uh, rather uh, rather well and uh yeah they'll probably blow out michigan again so uh yeah 
I, I think Ohio State. I, I just had to slip that in there. Uh, I think of Ohio course. State at worst goes eleven and one. Uh, all right, down to the last two here, Nick. Clemson, uh, ten and two last year, lost to Ohio State, uh, forty nine to twenty eight in the playoff. Fifth ranked recruiting class in the nation, first in the ACC. T- seven transfers out, no transfers in. They return some all uh, ACC talent uh, this year in left guard Matt Brockhorst, defensive tackle Brian Brees, linebacker James Skalski, and cornerback Andrew Booth Jr. All ACC last year. They do lose some talent to the NFL, not as much as the other teams, but big pieces here, obviously, in quarterback Travis Lawrence, uh, running back Travis Etienne, uh, the uh, wide receiver Amari Rodgers, Trevor Lawrence. I think I said Travis Lawrence. I was writing this at 3 a.m. last night. Uh, Wide receiver Cornell Powell and left tackle Jackson Carmen to the NFL. Uh, Tony Elliott uh, moves up to, uh, well, I mean, he just switches from running backs to tight ends. Still the OC there. Mm-hmm. And CJ Spiller, new running backs coach. That should be interesting. So uh, what do we think about Clemson going into 2021, Nick? Yeah, so for if there are any first-time listeners who've made it to the one-hour, 58-minute mark uh, in our final <laughs> rundown of uh, all the teams here. I, I think I failed to mention this uh, this go round that that these numbers, these rankings, are our 2020 end of season power rankings. So if there were another game, you know, after the national championship game or what have you, this is how they would stack up on a neutral field who would be favored one over the other, and that might, you know surprise some folks or, or folks might uh, want to argue that, hey, Ohio State obviously beat Clemson. How in the world could Clemson finish higher? Uh, that's just sort of the way it works out. So, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, a team can win uh, six out of 10. Sometimes they can win three out of 10. And, and you know, it, it doesn't necessarily uh, mean that they wouldn't be favored the next time, even if they lost head to head the previous week. But going, going back to uh, or not going back to, but uh, I feel like I could say basically the same thing for Clemson that I said for Ohio State. So maybe I'll save a little bit of time and, and uh, just say there are a lot of similarities in the way that that those two teams stack up personnel-wise for 2021 based on what they lost in 2020, specifically more so, I guess, on the offensive side of the ball with you know, one of the best quarterbacks we've seen in a long time. Uh, first round pick, top, you know, Lawrence, of course, the the slam dunk number one overall. Uh, and, and then, you know, Travis Etienne, super incredibly productive, uh, was was a uh, guy who carried a, a real heavy load like Trey Sermon did towards the end of this year. Etienne, of course, the all-time leader in ACC rushing yardage, so one of the best all-time uh, running backs in, in the conference there and, and you know, going to be a, a big miss, even though we expect there are guys lined up to be able to take over that role. The receiving core, very similar. They are very, very talented from a pure talent standpoint, only actually ranks 14th in the country in the average 247 rating. But this is, is uh, a situation where that experience, that production really kind of helps, you know, boost those numbers up. They actually rank fourth in that unit in our uh, unit strength ratings that assumes Justin Ross who missed all of last season uh, due to a, a back deck uh, issue, assuming he is able to come back and, and be full strength. You know what he was, uh, he's basically a 100 rated player, I think 99.8. So he's, he's right there. Uh, but 
missed all of last year. If he's if he's not fully healthy, obviously they'll they'll take a little bit of a, a step back if we have to remove him from the roster. But they still have Frank Latson. They still have Joseph Ngata. EJ Williams looks like a, a future star. Aju Aju looks like a future star. You know they're bringing in more talented classes each and every year. And receiver is is a position that they've recruited incredibly incredibly well. So I think they're going to be fine there. And, you know, they are at a, a little bit of an advantage compared to Ohio State because DJ Uyunglele got, you know, kind of that audition similar to what Mac Jones did in 2019 for Alabama. The difference, of course, is Uyunglele is a five-star, you know, seems like a, another future slam dunk first-round draft pick. We didn't think that was what Mac Jones was going to be. We didn't know that this time last year, but Clemson has that. Uh, situation handled, at least as far as the starter goes. They did unfortunately lose their top backup to an Achilles injury in the spring game. And after that, it it gets a little bit shaky. They've got two true freshmen, uh, three-star signees who are number two and number three at the position in our depth charts. But both of those guys, it sounds like, are going to be uh, Major League Baseball draft picks very soon potentially high enough to where they might decide to opt to play professional baseball instead of college football. If that were to happen, if one of one of those two guys goes, you know, then you got uh, an inexperienced true freshman, not super highly rated guy as your top backup. That's not a great situation if if something were to happen uh to DJU. But then, you know, if both guys are gone, then you only have two walk-ons and your punter are the next guys in line. So that that's a, a concern. Quarterback could be an issue if an unfortunate injury pops up uh, to DA, uh, DJ Uyangalale. If he's fully healthy, he's a Heisman contender, I think, with that receiving core. Uh, offensive line should be pretty good, even though they lose Jackson Carmen, who's a 100-rated player. They bring back, you know, a, a very experienced unit. Looks like five guys with uh, 150 snaps or more last season, uh, including three starters who, who played over 700 snaps. The defensive line is, you know, I said Ohio State was number one in our unit rankings. I think if I were to make my own opinion-based ratings rankings, uh, Clemson would be number one. That unit was just dominant with a couple of true freshmen, two of the best true freshmen defensive linemen that we've seen in a long time, and Brian Brzee and Miles Murphy. Already as true sophomores, they are max 100 rated players. So, you know, Clemson is is incredibly experienced and deep on the defensive line. They bring back a couple of all ACC players at, at you know, linebacker James Skalski, corner Andrew, Bo- uh, Andrew Booth, who wasn't even a starter last year, but was uh, able to play uh, well enough to get to uh, all ACC type level. And then for starters are back in the, in the secondary, even though they lose Darian Kendrick, who might be the biggest personnel loss uh, outside of, of Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion, to the transfer portal to a, a sounds like a discipline issue. You know, I, I think they're at least on paper, at least when you're looking at experience, going to be fine in the secondary as well. Uh, you know, a lot has been said about Clemson. I don't have to, to go into to too much more detail, but as I was reading that, athletic uh, state of the program piece that that Clemson was one of the teams that they posted recently as well. It got me to thinking a little bit about the the guys that they're relying on in the back seven. I think we will all admit a guy like James Skowski, 
played a lot of football, has been productive, but not the most athletically gifted type guy. A guy like Nolan Turner, similar. He was an unrated player coming out of high school. Played a lot of snaps. He's played 55 games in his career. He's going to be a six-year senior starter. Uh, you know, he started a, a full season last year, 15 career uh, starts under his credit. Not the most athletically gifted type guy. I, I did a little looking at the average 247 rating for the starters for Clemson at linebacker and, and in the secondary because we've seen Clemson – get exposed in big time spots. They were exposed against Ohio state last year. They were exposed against Louisiana state. Who says that against LSU uh, the previous year. And it got me to think, okay, you know, they're able to, to kind of dominate and, you know, the front, uh, the defensive line, they've, they have elite talent there, no problem, but are they quite talented enough, athletically gifted enough in the, the back seven to compete with, an explosive, you know, Alabama, LSU, Ohio State type offense. And it's it's a little bit worrisome. If you look at their uh, average 247 rating of their uh, starters in the defensive backfield, the, the our projected starters, it's 89-69. If you look at the non-starters, it's 92-19. So they're actually relying on less quote-unquote, talented players to start in the secondary. In the linebacker core, it's actually even a, a wider gap. Their average starter rating coming out of high school is an 86-67. Non-starters, 92-38. Now, that could be a sign that, yeah, they're they're recruiting better and better. So the younger guys are, you know, the guys who are coming in with more stars, higher ratings, things like that. But I, I also wonder if they're sacrificing a little bit you know, as far as pure athleticism goes for a guy just because he's, you know, older, more experienced. And yeah, maybe those guys know the playbook better, you know, are able to to sort of get things done when defensive coordinator Brent Venables wants to do a completely new game plan for a, a specific opponent, something like that, something that, that he's done before. But they, you know, obviously couldn't get lined up at times against Ohio State last year. And then they were also just not able to, to match up with, you know, the, the, the deep uh, threat passing attack that Ohio State was able to implement in that game. So it might be nothing. It might be me overthinking it, just spending a little too much time diving into to our uh, team pre- profiles here. But it's something that, that I think is worth monitoring maybe for Clemson, that they have underachieved in some of those big-time you know, playoff spots the last couple of years. And part of that might be due to those, you know, numbers in, in the uh, back seven among guys who they're going to be relying a lot on on this year. So anyway, Clemson, other than Georgia, we have basically a, a coin flip. They're double-digit favorites, almost two, t- at least two touchdown favorites in every other game. I think they're easy ACC uh, championship caliber. You know, a lot of people are talking about North Carolina. We mentioned we're not as high on them. Mm-hmm. We're a little higher on Miami. They don't play either of those in the regular season. Would play probably one of them in the ACC championship game. Have to think they'd be a favorite there. Should go to the playoffs. Should contend for a national title. Absolutely. And, you know, if if uh, DJ Uyunglele plays like a Heisman trophy contender and is able to avoid injury, they absolutely are a national title contender. But, 
you know, we, we've seen some cracks. We've seen some uh, issues on the field in the playoffs the last couple of years. So I, I do have my, you know, reservation, my reason for pause. But similar to Ohio State, you know, the path back to the playoff is, is set up really, really well for them. They would have to significantly underachieve uh, not to, to win the ACC, in my opinion, or, or get back to the playoff next year. Xavier, what do you think about Clemson? I mean, you know, Clemson and Ohio State seem like the most locked-in playoff contenders every year because the ACC and the Big Ten aren't necessarily – they're definitely not the SEC, you know what I mean? So it seems like uh, if you want to put two teams in, you might even want to throw Oklahoma in there. It's going to be Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, and NSCC team. So – uh, are you with that as far as Clemson goes, or do you think because Lawrence is gone and they're getting uh, a new star in Yulangalehi at uh, quarterback that you know this may be the year that they get usurped in the ACC? Nah, uh, you know I, I, I think when I think this Clemson team reminds me much more of last year's Alabama team than uh, than uh, Scott was talking. I'm sorry, Nick was talking about Ohio State. Reminding them of last of last year's Alabama team more. I think this team reminds me more of that Alabama team because it's a similar situation. You have a quarterback in DJ Uyangalale who kind of got his you know got an opportunity last year to get significant snaps in a major game. And although he stumbled in the first half of that game against Notre Dame, he played you know his butt off in that second half and almost was able to bring them back after what was a, a very hellacious start to that ball game. Uh, and I think that you know having those snaps are going to go a long way into this season. They don't play a single team on their schedule outside of Georgia to the caliber of Notre Dame uh, go, uh, next season, and especially not in the in ACC play. Uh, and I think they, they run the table in the ACC, like I said, outside of the Georgia game. I think that may be their only loss uh, going into next year. Uh, my biggest concern with them is, is purely the fact that they haven't been able to get pressure on a quarterback with just the front four since Christian Wilkins. And, and I, I think that that is something that has been been plaguing Brett Venables and company for a very, very, uh, for, for a while now. You know, when we talk about their, their national championship wins in, in the times in which we thought Clemson was the most dominant, it was because their front four was just excellent. And, you know, he and Brett Venables being the creative mind he is could change up the secondary, could give different looks, could do all of these things because he could rely on a front four that could get pressure and could stop the run on their own. Uh, he doesn't really he hasn't had that. You know, we've, we've had some 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 flops uh, from some of the five stars who have come in uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, that that were thought of to fill that role uh, right away. I mean, th- I mean, when you put out Christian Wilkins, uh, Cleveland Farrell, and, and there's some more that are obviously escaping my mind at the moment. Uh, but when you have that kind of a front four, it's it's hard to replace that. And, and you know, we'll see if the guys coming in this year, like a Brian Breeze, uh, like a Justin uh, Maskell, will be able to take those shoes and be able to actually do that. Nick, you're giving me a weird look. Why is that? Yeah, Brian Breeze was a. Uh... Freshman All-American, one of the best players in college football last year. I understand that, but <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm, and I'm not saying, but it was a front four type of situation. That's what I'm saying. Is the four up front were great. Brian Breesy, yes, was one of a cog, but the front four, in my opinion, was wasn't as good as in the years in which they were a dominant team, especially on the playoff level. And even in that game against Ohio State, I felt that that defense was just speed wise was outmatched. They, they could not run with the horses that Ohio State had. I You know, Trey Sermons got loose several times where I just thought 
he looked like the fastest player on the field. And we know that's not the case. So I, I genuinely felt like Clemson on that level has taken steps back since their last national championship victory. And I don't know if that's necessarily from a recruiting standpoint, just not getting the athletes that maybe they've had in the past or, you know, a Brett Venable situation with, with him maybe overthinking it in big games. That's also a possibility. But I will say that I they definitely – I definitely do think that athletically they did not look to be on the same pace as Ohio State was last year and definitely uh, against Alabama, you know, or anything like that. So that's where I, I see the issue uh, with, with Clemson. I don't see that being an issue in the regular season at all, maybe – outside of the Georgia game, they'll run the table in the ACC. There's not a single team that I think can play with them right now as long as DJ uh, stays healthy. And offensively, I think, you know, they a lot of people aren't talking about their offense because they lost so much talent, kind of like what we what we saw coming in to this past year with Alabama. Nobody was really, you know, people were talking about Mac Jones, but there was a huge question mark. Could they, you know, get the production like they did from Judy and Ruggs? And I think EJ Williams is a future star. I think he's a future first round talent. I think Justin Ross is, if healthy, is a first or second round talent in, in his own right. And I think that they'll be perfectly fine on that side of the football. It's really dependent on whether or not they athletically, or whether or not, like you said, Nick Brett Venables can just coach the game like he's supposed to and not overthink it in these big matchups. If Clemson can run the table and get to a, and win another national championship, if they can do that, I think this is a team that will be in the national title game. Uh, if not, they'll probably get bounced in the semifinals like they did last year. All right. That leaves us with one big dog left in Alabama. Of course, 13 and 0 last year, beat Ohio state, pounded Ohio state in the championship game, 52 to 24 first rank recruiting class in the nation. Seven transfers out linebacker, Christopher Allen and defensive back Malachi Moore were all sec last year, but this team loses the most like every year to the NFL draft. Uh, in quarterback Mac Jones, running back Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, Miller Forsall, Alex Leatherwood on the line, Deontay Brown, Landon Dickerson, three-fifths of the line gone, defensive tackle Christian Barmore, linebacker Dylan Moses, cornerback Patrick Sertain, all going to the NFL. They also lose a big chunk of the coaching staff to Texas. You know, Bill O'Brien takes over as the OC. He was the Texans head coach for a little bit last year. Uh, Doug Marone, another NFL head coach, is going to be the offensive line coach. Uh, Robert Gillespie comes over from North Carolina. Jay Graham comes over from Tennessee to be the special teams coordinator. So lots of moving pieces on the roster and on the coaching staff this year for Alabama. But they still sit atop number one and looks like they're still looking down on everybody else. Right, Nick? Yeah, I think so. I, I was a little surprised, as I mentioned. I thought Oklahoma had a shot at, at being our number one power rankings team. I thought Georgia had a, a pretty good shot at it as well. And you know, they're they're both in the mix. We would have Alabama as about a three point favorite over Oklahoma on a neutral site. Uh, we would have Alabama as a uh, about a two point favorite over Georgia on a neutral site. So that's actually closer than I mean definitely closer than, than any team was with Alabama at the end of last season. They were like a, a four or maybe even six point favorite over uh, Ohio state. If I remember correctly, according to our numbers in the national championship game. So the, the margin has, has narrowed somewhat, but even with so much, you know, production, so much talent uh, walking out the door, they're, they're still bringing enough back 
from arguably the greatest team in college football history to, to still hold on to that number one spot. And you mentioned the number one recruiting class. It was also the number one, you know, according to 247 Sports, their highest rated class of all time. So you have, you know, the best team maybe of all time and, and refill uh, some of the spots of, of players lost with, you know, the most talented group of true freshmen coming in of all time. So it, it's not a situation where we expect any significant uh, step back for Alabama. It would not shock me because, you know, the SEC is so tough with, you know, they do have to play Florida, who is a top 10 team, we think. They do have to play Texas A&M, who looks like is a top five team. LSU should be a, you know, improved team, probably, you know, a top 15 maybe-ish level by time they play in November. Auburn is always a little bit tricky. We don't necessarily know what they're going to look like with a new regime coaching staff. With so much turnover for Alabama, big-time spots, quarterback position, receiving core, uh, offensive line, significant losses there from what was the best offensive line in college football, Joe Moore Ward winner. You know, uh, there are reasons to think, okay, maybe this isn't just going to be plug-and-play and and expect 50 points a game offensively again. I I do wonder – you know, Bill O'Brien's been out of the college game for a little while, hasn't been, you know, a, a full-time offensive coordinator for, for even longer. So is he going to be, a, is it going to be as smooth a transition as some of the other uh, offensive coordinator uh, hires Dick Saban has made recently? You expect it probably will be. I mean, I know Saban has said in the last couple of weeks that the offense is the offense. It's not that Bill O'Brien's come in and bring in his offense. There's an all Alabama offense Bill O'Brien's going to learn it and going to call it. Is he long-term, you know, comfortable with that setup? Is, is it going to be a fit personality-wise? You know, probably well enough, but, you know, I still have some minor, minor concerns. Bryce Young, five-star true, you know, or was a five-star true freshman last year, got nine games, about 115 snaps of, of experience, you know, looks great in the spring not going to be a significant drop-off, I don't think, but, you know, he didn't win the job outright against Mac Jones, who, yeah, sure, first-round pick coming up soon, but we didn't necessarily think that. People thought there was probably a 50-50 shot that Young was going to be able to beat Jones out last year. So, you know, maybe – I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to punch holes a little bit in Alabama as the preseason number one team. And I, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm, you know, grasping at straws a little bit. Uh, finding that weakness because there's really the offense, I think, is the only spot you could point to so much loss at the receiver position, but they're going to be fine. I mean, you know, uh, IG Hall, true freshman, looked like the next Jerry Judy, Grant Smith, <laughs> whoever, you know, uh, with this long list of wide receivers, uh, the, the little glimpse we saw in, in the spring, they're going to be fine there. John Mechie's, you know, ready, I think, to be uh, a big-time contributor. And, and you know, they've got other – Ja'Cory Brooks, Christian Leary. I mean, that recruiting class is just so, so deep. And they're getting creative, too. I mean, they, they moved uh, Keelan Robinson to wide receiver. Jaleel Billingsley at tight end is one of the most athletic tight ends in the country. Not quite the, the physical, you know, uh, dominant type uh, that – Guys, we talked about a little bit earlier today, Jalen Watermeyer or or uh, uh, Michael Meyer, but 
I mean, this guy returns kicks, you know, so that, that's that's pretty ridiculous that Alabama tight end returns kicks, and I think he's going to take a big, you know, step forward. So they're going to be fine, I think, offensively. Defensively, they've, they've moved in the wrong direction in team performance in 2017. Basically, well, 2015 to 2017, they ranked number one in our defensive team performance numbers. They were number two in 2018, number four in 2019, and last year slid all the way to number 12, but they are, I think, going to be the best defense in college football. They rank number one in every roster, you know, metric that we've got uh, basically for defense, whether it's raw talent, whether it's the weighted uh, unit strength numbers. They're top three at every level. They're third in our defensive line rankings, number two at linebacker in front seven, number one in the secondary and the back seven, and that's with losing Patrick Sertan, who I expect will be the top you know, corner taken, uh, if not one of the, the you know top few in the draft this week. So there they are, you know, Alabama is, is still Alabama. They are, I think, the team to beat until someone proves otherwise. They are the most talented team in college football. They're certainly not the most experienced, but uh, they are, I would say, the best coach top to bottom. And assuming there's a smooth transition at offensive coordinator and assuming some guys who, you know, didn't play huge roles last year step up into some pretty big roles this year offensively, they're ab- absolutely a threat to win the national championship again. So I-, I think that if I were to say Alabama or the field at this point, I would be pretty comfortable going with the field, even though they're our top-rated team, even though we'd have them a favorite against any other team in college football on a neutral field, I'm not sure that they can uh, you know, get through the entire SEC gauntlet. I think they could maybe get upset by a team like Ole Miss. That wouldn't be – that wouldn't shock me. You know, they, they could potentially lose to a team that uh, stacks up decently well in Texas A&M. They lost LSU two years ago. Very different LSU, of course, but – you know, maybe the 2021 version is a lot closer to 2019 than last year. So I could I could see some spots where, you know, Alabama could lose a regular season game, could lose to Georgia in the SEC title game and miss the playoff. But I could absolutely see a scenario where they roll through the regular season, beat Georgia in the SEC championship, you know, go through undefeated and, and win it all again. So I think that Alabama is the team to beat. I don't think they are uh, necessarily going to be anywhere near as dominant as they were last year. I I think we have to expect a a step back in the on-field performance. But who knows, by November, by December, this absolutely could be one of the best teams in in college football history. Again, it's absolutely possible just based on the talent that is returning and – you know, I didn't spend a whole lot of time on, on the defense, but I'm sure we'll have plenty of time in, in the summer. I think this is – I think we're going to see maybe not 10 points a game like we saw half a decade ago, but I think that we're going to see a, a, a bit of a return to the dominant Alabama defenses that we were used to in, in you know, four, five, six, seven, ten years ago uh, under Nick Saban. This unit is – just absolutely stacked. I'm, I'm really excited to watch Alabama play defense next year. But they're our number one preseason team. The narrow, you know, the margin is is narrowed, but they're they're still the team to beat. Bama 
uh, Xavier, I mean, are you going to try to poke holes here? or oh, are no. you... Okay. Before I go, I just want to get back to a point I made about Clemson. Since 2018, Clemson has not had a sack leader that was on their defensive line. That's all I want to say. That's all I want to say. <laughs> I want to say. It was, yeah. So, but back to Alabama. Am I going to try to poke holes after watching the spring game? I don't know if there's any for me to poke. I don't know if there's any, it's even possible. It, it was almost sickening to watch the fact that they lose all this talent on the outside. And I watched at least three receivers that, are, that were like, okay, that kid could be first round talent. He's probably first round talent. He may be early second, but that's no slouch. Uh, you know, so, you know, my only concern with Alabama is the fact that they play two tough games to start the year off. You know, they play against Miami, who we think is going to be, uh, you know, if they have Gary King, it's going to be a much better team than I think people are giving them credit for, one. And then at Florida, and I know, you know, we talked about earlier in the, in the conversation how we feel like Florida is obviously going to take a step back. However, for a young quarterback, first SEC matchup, you know, it, you know, in Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, that's not going to be an easy game for him. And I think that that's going to be a major situation there. Uh, and I think for me, when I look at their schedule, I think Nick's right. That Ole Miss at Texas A&M back-to-back weeks could be a trap game for them. Uh, you know, we talked about how good Ole Miss's offense will be. Uh, if their defense can make just an incremental jump forward, that might be a, a very, very good ball club this year. And we talk about how AM, even losing Kellen Mond, is still going to be a team to, to, to be reckoned with uh, this year. So I would not be surprised if we do see, see Bama slip up next year, um, just due simply to the fact of how much youth they have uh, on the offense, especially. But once again, how many times do we try to poke holes in Alabama's team and by mid-November, they've, you know, broken three different records or something or rather. You know, so as well, as far as the youth is concerned, it has to be a bit of a concern when you're talking about, you know, the, the SEC and playing those games, especially with so many of the so many of their big games, excuse me, being on the road. They do have to see AM and Florida both on the road. Luckily for them, they do get LSU at home. But you know, and they do have to go to Jordan Hare, which we've seen at times. Jordan Hare is just a lucky place to play if you're Auburn. Who knows what that game could end up being like? We saw what that was like for Mac Jones and his first time going down to Auburn, uh, or excuse me, his only time going down to Auburn. So, you know, there's a possible slip-ups here on the schedule. I'm just not going – I am I don't have the uh, the will to say that's going to happen. And I think Nick's right. And he kind of, you know, I thought he was going to allow me to just rant about – rave about the defense uh, because I thought he forgot – but I think Will, you know, this Will Anderson, Christian Harris, these this might be some of the best pass rushers, pure pass rushers off the edge that Alabama has had in a very in a, in a good while. Uh, you know, we always talk about their interior defensive line. You know, obviously we going all the way back to guys like Mount Cody, but you know, off the edge, Will Anderson might be one of the best pure pass rushers that, that Alabama has seen. He might finish. Uh, you know, a 12 sack guy, 13 sack guy. I would not be surprised whatsoever. He's going to be held to face off the edge, uh, you know, and, and that's really going to help out a secondary that is a little bit young, uh, but still uh, uber talented. Uh, you know, I think Josh Joe, not a lot of people are talking about him, but I think this is a guy that finishes as possibly, a, you know, a, an all SEC second team, maybe even creeps into the all SEC first team uh, this year. He's got the size and the, and definitely has, and just so happened last year to be playing, you know, the the second or third corner in most form, in most formations. So he didn't get much love uh, from the media or, or from the eyes who were watching the game. But I think he is able to step into that, you know, number one corner role flawlessly. Uh, and, and you know, I could I could rave about how good Alabama's defense is probably going to be this year. Uh, but 
I, I'm not an Alabama fan, so I'm not going to do that. Uh, and I think that, the, like I said, I think that this is a team that, barring, like I said, just unforeseen slip-ups on the schedule um, or, or maybe youth getting in the way in those first, you know, two out of their first three games, this is a team that will absolutely run the table and will be one of the four in the playoff. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for uh, the review series of all 130 college football teams. Nick, we did it. We saved our longest episode for last. Yeah, we did. I, well, I, I, thought, I, mean, we would, I thought we would uh, shorten it up. At this point, everybody knows the teams. It gets a little boring, maybe. So I, I, I thought this might actually be a shorter episode. That was. Uh, very silly of me, obviously. <laughs> but, uh, we'll see. Yeah. We've got some plans to tighten things up here in the future. Right, exactly. So, and, and these are, you know, people people can listen to these in chunks. It's not that uh, big of a shock. So, uh, but we will be back uh, in a little bit here to talk more college football, but that is going to do it for us today. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. We will see you guys later. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. Mm-hmm.